Just a few introductory things first before we get stuck into our subject today. And I want to let you know about a few things that we've got planned coming up for you. Um, I'm, I'm, I've changed next week's schedule altogether and I haven't put it on the net yet. And so next week up at Butterham, I'm going to be doing another talk about fear. Right? Because I can feel a lot of you are in this state of fear. And what we want to do is start getting through it, getting through the fear. All right? So next week what we're going to do is I'll have a talk about fear on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, I'm going to come up with a practical plan for you for the next month to trigger your fears. And uh, there'll be lots of things I'll say to you. Some of them, some of them will be true <laughs> uh, on the Sunday. And, uh, and hopefully what that'll do is just trigger some of your fears so that, uh, so that you can start practically working through them. Because what's happening for many of you, you're getting locked up in the fear and not getting down into the emotion. So what we'd like to be able to do next week is just really focus you back on the fear. Remember, fear is your friend. Most of us feel our fear is our enemy. <laughs> enemy. So uh, that's what we'd like to do next week. Now, that's the uh, combined suggestion of a few spirits, actually. During the week, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a medium with us, and, uh, and so we got to talk with a lot of our spirit friends during the week, and one of them suggested to, to me that uh, it was time to start triggering your fears. And, start, and so instead of allaying your fears and trying to put them to bed, what we're going to do is try to bring them out and try to experience them and get through this fear layer that's preventing everything from happening. And you'll notice that many of you have been flicking into anger as well quite readily, more frequently than before, right? I don't know what AJ's done to me. He's just made me into this angry, fearful mess, right? That's how many of you are feeling. And so what we'd like to do is address the cause of that, and the cause of that is always the fear that you feel. So that's our goal next week. So the Saturday will be a fear is your friend discussion with a bit of changes to the original one that we did, I think, about 12 months or so, or 18 months ago. And then on Sunday, I'm going to talk to you and trigger a lot of your fears using different techniques. And one of those techniques is going to be talking about the coming earth changes on Sunday. And uh, because many of you are ignoring your fears about it. And so what we'd like to do is talk to you about all of those things and look at a lot of the fears within you and how it causes you at times to bury your head in the sand as well. You know, the ostrich style stuff, you know, like if I can't see anything and I can't hear it, then everything's going to be fine. And it doesn't work like that. So, so what we've got to do is allow ourselves to trigger ourselves through that. So that's next week. That's up at Butterham. And for those, uh, it's a new hall that, uh, sorry, it's not at all. <laughs> You've had a good look at it now, have you? Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And the hall at Butterham is just wonderful. Uh, it's about, it can seat probably comfortably 300 to 400 people. It's a brand new $7 million hall. Air conditioned. And the owners of it have donated it for our use as often as we want to use it until they sell it. And so um, we'll see how long that goes. But while we've got that, 
option. Uh, we're going to be able to use it. Now, because of that, uh, obviously a bigger hall has a lot more set up and a lot more dismantling things and it's got lovely toilet situation it's also got six soundproof rooms if you want to go down and scream your head off and so yeah it has actually Pur purpose built this hall is you'll find so it's really really good but what we need to do there's about a hundred car parking spaces in in the grounds it's a 22 acre grounds it's all beautifully manicured and uh, rainforest basically with with uh, and, and a brand new hall if you can imagine what $7 million buys, you'll get a good idea of, of uh, how beautiful it is. It's really beautiful. And we've been so fortunate to have it offered uh, for our use. So what we want to do next Saturday is have a meeting for those of you who would like to help us sit with the setup and dismantling of different things. Now, there's a number of different uh, jobs that needs to be done uh, now that things are starting to get a little bigger. Um, and one of those jobs, obviously, is organising people with car parking uh, so that nobody parks all over the place and he's, uh, so we, we need a couple of people to do that and there's also obviously the clean up afterwards uh, uh, obviously a 400 seat auditorium that's carpeted and needs to be vacuumed at the end of each day and so what we want to do is actually keep, keep it in as pristine condition as what we found it and he has only one request and that is with your children not to have them play in the, on the garden because it's obviously just a newly done garden and obviously with him selling it he doesn't want to st start fixing up things that get damaged so if you do bring your children along you'll need to make sure you're a bit more uh, closer with what's going on with your children which will help your law of attraction a bit more probably and so that would be good for both your children and yourself so um, there's also setting up obviously of sound equipment and all those kind of things and so what we're going to do is have a meeting next Saturday at 10am in the morning at the auditorium for those who would like to be involved. Now I'm not saying that any of you have to be involved because my, Mary and myself are totally happy to clean up the whole auditorium after we're finished every night and we're totally happy to set everything up before we go as well. So it's only if you want to be involved if you come along at 10am and and it will be something that will be fairly regular. We've got, I think, about... I think we've got about six to eight weekends planned already in that venue. Um, and, and so that's basically 12, day, 12 to 14 days, I think, or, or 12 to 16 days are already planned. And so obviously um, it'll be a fairly... Um, it, it won't be just a one-month arrangement. It'll be something happening over a few, few months. So that'll be lovely. And during the summer months, while it's nice and hot, you'll be able to sit in air-conditioned comfort. So what we're going to do there is just have a donation box to help cover some of the costs of running that hall. Um, and uh, we, that's not been asked of us, but we just feel that it would be nice if we could express our appreciation for what's been donated to us. That would be lovely. So it's a really, really good hall. And myself and Mary are very enthusiastic about being able to present there. Hey, babe. Mm. All right, now, um, so, so the first discussion there will be the fear is your friend discussion. And then the next day, I'm going to talk to you about a lot of things about earth changes. And what I'm going to suggest to you is a, is a six-week plan of how you can trigger lots of your fears. All right? And there's certain books you can read. There'll be certain movies that you can hire from your local DVD store. 
and then there'll be also a movie that I would like you to see on the, at the cinema. And it's the movie coming up called 2012, which you may have seen um, advertised. So, so we'll, we'll spend the whole time just triggering those fears and letting the fear come up and letting yourself get involved in that. And we'll, tomorrow we'll also continue the theme tomorrow with what we're going to do with our spirit um, interaction tomorrow. So tomorrow is the mediumship and healing day for, for those of you who want to do mediumship and healing. And tomorrow we'll be focusing on triggering your fears and helping you see what's really going on in terms of all interactions between spirits and humans. And we're going to come up with a lot of examples of that, what's happened during the week and different things I've been noticing with different ones of you in terms of what's going on with the spirit world because many of you are still very unaware of what's actually happening at certain times. And what we want to do is become more aware of what's going on there. So that's our day tomorrow, which will be continuing on this theme. And the homework for the spirit and spirit mediumship and healing will be related around fear as well. So there'll be some homework about that too. So we'll see how we go with all that. Have, have a look forward to a couple of months of fear. I'm smirking because I've had to do lots of it. So, you know, in the end, it's a, if, once you process fear, it's such a freeing, freeing thing. You, your life will never be different. It'll be never the same again. It'll be totally different once you've got through a lot of your fears. So you have a lot to look forward to getting through your fears. The problem is that we get locked up in our fears. And when we get locked up in our fears, our fears just dictate to us the rest of our life pretty much. They dictate almost every choice we make. It dictates almost what goes on in terms of, remember your soul is like this great big attractor, so it's just attracting, attracting what your fears are attracting in order to trigger your fears so that you get through them. So many of you will feel quite frightened about the next couple of months coming up and my suggestion is to allow yourself to let some of that fear come up in you. And remember you're allowed to shake, rattle and roll, shake, rattle and roll. You know, you're allowed to do these things, right? You're allowed to feel everything inside of yourself. And um, you know where my eraser is? Must be somewhere around the place. Yeah, five. It's pointless writing on a board if there's no something, nothing to write and to take it off with afterwards. Now today is going to be a discussion, a bit more of a continuation of a discussion about emotions. And the one reason why I wanted to do this is many of you are stu still struggling getting into the core emotions, right? And, and so we then go down this line of, oh, is this, an, is this a capping emotion? Or is this a self-deception emotion? Or is this a core emotion? Or what's going on with me? And then after a while you get so frustrated that you just throw it all up in the air and say, <laughs> say uh, like, I give up, right? And then you come along to one of these sessions, you know, in two or three weeks' time and, you know, you get all enthused again and you go home and you try for the next two days, is this a capping emotion? Is it, oh, I give up again. That was like... Oops. All right, sorry. <laughs> so, what we want to do is we want to really uh, focus on some practical things that you can do in your life 
that will really help you access and know what's going on for you at any one point in time with regard to your emotions. So these are all practical things that I've had to do. I've mentioned to, um, them to groups before, but what I wanted to do is put them all together. Now, I haven't typed up the outline completely at this point for this session, but I will have it done by who knows when, but let's say, let's say Monday at this point, um, so you'll be able to download that, and, and hopefully you'll then have a list of all of these different things that you can do. All right. Now, what's the soul? The soul. Uh, you're getting sick of this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. This is sounding like brainwashing now, isn't it? I'm the master brainwasher. Another thing to add to your fear list. Huh? Right. Passions. Desires. Aspirations. Inspiration. Emotions. And so forth, right? Now, if I want to connect to my soul, I've got to start connecting to these things. That makes sense, doesn't it? If I really want to be who I really am inside, I've got to start connecting to these things. So, I've got to start connecting to my emotions if I really want to know who I am inside of myself. I've got to start connecting to my desires and my passions as well if I really want to know myself. I've got to get, start connecting to this, all of this wonderful stuff that's inside of me that I can begin to grow. And when I start, thanks, Pam. When I start receiving divine love, I'm going to grow more and more of these things. <coughs> In fact, I'm going to grow more emotions. My emotions are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Alright? So, so at the, at, the, at the beginning, sometimes we start with our emotions like that. Like just, we've got to sort of really look at it with a microphone. There's an emotion, right? That's where we start a lot of times. I know that's where I started. It was like walking around in a black room trying to find an emotion, right? That's how many of us feel, right? And, and the same often is, this, is with our desires. A lot of times with our desires, we're walking around totally clueless of what our personal desires are. And we don't know how to even follow a desire either. And later on down the track, we'll be talking about the law of desire. Because there is actually a law that God created about desire. And it's just as powerful as the law of attraction. Right? We've talked a lot about the law of attraction, right? And, but we've talked nothing about the law of desire yet. And the reason why is, to actually feel a desire, you've got to have some emotions. You've got to actually feel some emotions inside and work your way through them. Now, remember there's two primary influences on the soul. What is that? Truth. So truth-based emotions, these are, don't forget. These are all emotional. And error. Right. Does that make sense? Truth-based emotions and error-based emotions. Alright. So these error-based emotions influence our passions and desires. Right? So error is always everything in disharmony with love. And truth is always everything harmonious with love. So when we have error-based emotions and error-based desires, error-based passions and so forth, what's happening now is our soul is filling up. And you could think of it like, you imagine you, imagine you all had a bucket of mud. Right? We're standing here and that's AJ's soul. Right? 
And I, when AJ was born, here we go. Oh, hello, it's all right. So that's AJ Salt. So somebody doesn't want to say that to me. Someone doesn't want me to say this. How are we going? I bought a second one just in case. <laughs> um, all right, so let's say that's AJ Sol. And when we started, when we came onto the planet, everyone decided to throw mud at it. So all of you got out your buckets of mud, and away you went. Splat, 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 splat. And eventually what happens is this soul got covered over like an eggshell with all this mud. Now, does the mud define you? No. No. But we think it defines us. And this is the problem we have in dealing with a lot of our emotions. We are so afraid that the mud defines us that we don't even want to wash the mud off anymore. Right? That's what happens. And yet this mud needs to wash off before we start feeling the true base, the, the, the love-based desires and passions and longings that we have inside of ourselves. So that being said, I reckon I might, something must be happening with my skin as well, so we just sort that out as well. Um, one thing I'm going to probably ask for is um, we need new sound system. <laughs> but we haven't got the money to buy it at the moment, so if you can just bear that in mind in your donations, that'll be, uh, that'll be good. But we need to get some higher quality stuff so that uh, none of these things continuously occur. Right, so, so with this soul, with all this suppressed passions, desires and emotions inside of the soul. And what we need to do is work out how we can start accessing these emotions and passions and desires. And we are starting out like, it's like the beginning of a long, 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 dark, dark, dark tunnel. That's what it feels like a lot of times, right? Just this very long, long way away from any light. When we start looking down this tunnel, it's like looking down a great big sewer. You ever did that when you were a child? You, sometimes when you're a child, you sort of investigate things a bit too much, like mum and dad don't want you to. And I don't know if you've ever looked down a long sewer pipe and then decided to go for a walk or a crawl up it, right? And of course, in Brisbane, that's a little dangerous because there might be a flash flood and all of a sudden people get caught in it. But when you do that, you get up to a certain way and then the fear kicks in. Because you can't see the light at one end or the light at the other end anymore. And unless you've got a light on you, it's very, very difficult to see your way. And you start worrying about what's there around you. And all these fears kick in. And it's like that with our soul often when we start off this process of emotional work. Because the first sets of emotions that usually come up are some of the reasons why we shut everything down. And a lot of those emotions are quite terrifying at times. So, so that's what it's like and we want to start looking at practical ways that we can start opening up this soul. Just some practical things that we can do. So, the first practical thing that we can do. First practical thing is change almost everything that 
is around you so that you can open up and grab your soul. Now, so what I'm saying here is change your environment. Alright? So that's, that's the first thing. So what do I mean by that? I mean, have an environment or create an environment around you and later on we're going to do a talk about creating a soul space for you to grow. But change your environment around you so that in the end you can enjoy working on your emotional condition. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing. Something's not going right here, is it? It's just like, I'm going to disconnect that, pull that up here, see how we go with that. Zit, zit, zit. It's going to be all the way through. This. It's going to be an interesting law of attraction when somebody's watching these videos. Oh, I can't watch this one. Triggering some emotions. Oh, it's about emotional processing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Alright, let's look at changing your environment. What kind of things do I do? Well, firstly, I need to have an environment that is set up so that when I get to an emotion, I can process it straight away. So this means in my own home, changing around my home a little so that I've maybe got a room that I can actually go into without getting bothered by the rest of the family. And in that room, there might be a great big pillow or hard bag or something like that on the floor and I might have a thing, you know, one of these, you can buy these sort of plasticky type uh, baseball bats now, you know, and you just got to be careful about the light when you swing it. <laughs> and then you can buy a tennis racket that's quite cheap and then you can get a hose and then, do you know what I mean? And set up this room in such a way that you're, you can at least start allowing and processing through your anger. But also have some nice comfortable things in it too. You need a towel in it, trust me. You will need a towel. Because tissues are not going to be enough for you. <laughs> right? When you really get involved in your processing, tissues are definitely not enough. And so you need a towel, and all I do with it is I just fold up the towel into three or four on the, on the four, and I just cry, and I, then, I don't, then you don't have to worry about blowing your nose or anything like that. It just all goes on the towel. And then when you're done, you just chuck it in the wash. You know, like, so it's really simple. And, uh, and it's also good use of the resources in your environment too. The, so, so set up it with a towel and, and also anything else that strikes you as something that will work. Now, if you live out in the bush a little, sometimes having a nice little enclave with a heap of old, you know, uh, crockery so, so that you can throw it out at the wall and you know just really let that rage flow and if you got if you live out the bush and you've got an old car in the backyard that hasn't been taken down the dump yet where you get a baseball bat and what you do is you you bang every panel so till it's totally beat up and then you get it taken down the dump so you set up an environment don't laugh these are things that people are doing like millie's got that haven't you millie yeah so so this is ways that you can help get into some of this emotion so so in the middle of a city, like in Brisbane or, or in Sydney or, or in, up in the Sunshine Coast or whatever, you can still process a lot of emotion quite loud if you've got the room set up properly. And you don't have to worry about your next door neighbour coming in and asking whether you're getting murdered inside or, 
or, or a policeman coming along or something like that because you're already processing. You don't have to worry about that. You can be fully involved in the emotion. The beauty of doing that too is you can also teach the family, particularly your children, how to handle their anger and, how to, and they know where to go if they're angry. So instead of them getting angry with their sibling, they go in the room and bash, 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 bash and, you, and then connect. And after a while what will happen is they start to learn how to do all of this as well if you've got that, in, that thing set up, if you've got that environment set up. But if you don't set up that environment, what happens? No one's got anywhere to go to express their emotion except at the person who's standing in front of them. And remember for us as an adult, the person in front of us didn't create our emotions. They didn't create our stored emotion. They, currently, they only are the trigger of our stored emotion. Right? The person who created our store emotion sometimes might not even be alive on earth or they might be our father or mother or school, something happened when we were in our childhood. And quite often what we do is because we haven't got the mechanism to express this emotion, because we haven't created a location close by that we can just easily get to, what we finish up doing is we, we finish up projecting that emotion on the people around us, which is a damaging thing that we do to our own soul as well as to theirs. So, change your environment. Do the things, uh, set up some things, doesn't cost very much, set up some things that help you connect to your suppressed emotion. And allow, you don't have to, you don't have to go in there 15 minutes a day and try to get to your emotion. Trust me, your law of attraction, once you set your intention, We'll just ramp up a bit. Many of you have had that happen right already, where your law of attraction is ramped up a bit. You're going to have some daily things that happen that will help you get into the emotion. And if you've got a room set up so you can get into that emotion without feeling embarrassment or shame and all those other things, then what's going to happen is you'll get to your emotion a lot more rapidly. Does that make sense to everyone? So that's, that's my suggestion to you. So at home we've got a few areas around our house that we've done that. We've got a boxing bag with a couple of baseball bats and a bit of gloves and then down the backyard there's a couple of very old, uh, I suppose you'd call them old fridges and stuff like that and, and a baseball bat down there so that you can get into that. And, and the key is to allow yourself to, to connect emotionally and express the emotions. Now around us, because we've got 40 acres, um, it's, it's a little easier to yell and scream um, without having to worry about locking yourself up inside perhaps. But you won't be able to do that in, in a town without somebody complaining. So create a room um, that, that is a bit more soundproof than the rest of your home and that allows you to connect to and express your emotion. But also allows you to be in a degree of comfort while well, after you connect. So while you're crying you can just lay on the floor and all the snot and all the dribble and everything can come out and you can just, you know, not worry about having to tidy it all up because you've got it all equipped already that it's easy to tidy up afterwards. When you do that, you're actually setting your intention. Can you see that? When you actually build this location, you're actually now setting an intention. There's a lot of power in setting an intention. A really good book, if you haven't read it, uh, was written by Dr. Wayne Dyer called The Power of Intention. Have a read of that if you haven't had a read of that book. It's a lovely book. And it talks about the effects of setting your intention. Very, very powerful. You know, it's a bit of natural love stuff um, that he's got in it too, but look at it from the point of view of how powerful setting your intention is. So, set your intention to fix up your environment. 
The other thing you have to do with your environment is you need to look at the people who are surrounding you. If you are surrounded by a heap of people who do not want you to access your emotion, it's going to be very, very hard for you to access your emotion. If you are surrounded by people who are more willing to access their emotion or have a desire to access their emotion, you're going to find it much more easy to access your emotion. And you've heard it all like birds of a feather flock together. You've heard that saying, right? Well, you could also, if you want to get all you know, religious about it, you could also say, bad associations spoil useful habits, which is a quote from the Bible. But either way, what, whatever the people are around us is usually what we've attracted because we have desires in ourselves that is very similar. So, if I have a desire to shut down my emotions, Ken has a desire to shut down his emotions, Mary has a desire to shut down her emotions, we're all going to get together. We're going to help each other shut down each other's emotions. Now, is that going to help me access my emotions? Obviously not, right? But if I know that there are other people who are actually more open emotionally than I am, then spending a bit of time with them is going to help you, isn't it? Can you see that? So allow yourself to make some choices to spend some time with people who are more open emotionally. Allow yourself to do that. Also, look at in your home environment. Is your partner, your, you know, your, the living arrangements in such a way that they allow you to deal with your emotions? Now, what uh, I've done every time I've lived in somebody's home, which when I've travelled, I've done that quite often, is I explain to them up front, I am going to process my emotion. That means sometimes I'm going to cry in your house. And it means sometimes I'm going to scream in your house and I'm going to beat the pillows in your house, if that's all right. And if I break them, I'll replace them for you. And, and I explain to them why, what's going on. Now, when you do that with your family, you are automatically making it all more acceptable. Also, you're making it acceptable for your children to hear it and they just say, ah, mum's off again, processing her emotion. And then after a while you'll find your children will come to you, mum, you need to go and process your emotion. <laughs> we have these friends overseas and their children, and one child I'm thinking of in particular is a nine-year-old girl, she goes up to her mum and says, mum, you need to process your emotion about this, this, this and this. <laughs> go now. <laughs> The reason why is that the daughter's got pain in certain areas of her body that she knows is connected with mum's emotions. She just goes straight to mum and tells her. We've got another friend who's now moved down uh, sort of New South Wales and a five-year-old son comes up to her and tells her what emotions she's denying and when she needs to process them, basically. And also, he's also telling her what she needs to do when he's processing his emotion. Because she tries to hug him and he says, no, that doesn't work, Mum. You've got to stop trying to hug me. This is a five-year-old, by the way. You've got to stop trying to hug me, Mum, because if you hug me, I can't get into the emotion like I need to. You've got to wait until I'm finished and then you can hug me. Right? And he's, he's mediumistic, so he's got this spirit, he's, these spirit friends talking to him about how to access his emotions. So he tells Mum what they're saying about how he's going to access his emotions. Right. So, very powerful, very powerful. You want to say a bit more about Zen? I was just, I, was, I don't it? think it's on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, turn on. 
that it's worth mentioning that his guides changed after mum dealt with some emotions? Oh yes, that's right. One, one other thing I should mention, that probably we were going to mention it tomorrow, but we'll mention it today. What happened was, uh, like many of you la your, your, your mothers, you will find that when, when your little boy runs around with a machine gun thing that he's made out of wood, going <laughs> at everybody, you start getting a bit afraid of you've created this monster who wants to kill everybody, right? And what actually happened uh, was that um, Zen had had this, um, had a spirit with him who, was, who loved guns. And Zen then got influenced into, into loving guns. But the reason why was because mum had an emotion about it all. When mum worked through that emotion, the spirit who loved guns left the child and then a different group of spirits came with the child. And, and Zen, the child, five, he's five years old, told mum what had happened. He told mum, well, when you were angry with me, there was this little boy with me who loved guns all the time. But when you stopped dealing with that, when you started dealing with that emotion, that little boy went away. So he's telling her moment by moment what she's doing and what she's denying and what effect that's having on his law of attraction. Right? So it's very powerful once you understand all of that, what's going on. So changing your environment has this beautiful effect of bringing everything, firstly it brings all of your intention together. You're now actually doing something that's in harmony with, an, with, with love for yourself. So that's, that's the first thing my, my suggestion is. The second thing is to change your diet. These are all just practical things, right? Number one thing here, drink water. I know that might sound funny, but nowadays a lot of people don't actually drink water very much. What do they do? They drink a cup of tea or you know, go and get a can of Coke. Or I knew one lady, I, was, I went to this seminar in... Um, so everyone got your water? Okay. Don't worry, if, if, if we need to have a break in 15 minutes time because all of you need to go to the toilet, that's fine, now drink your water. Now, I drink five litres a day, on the average. And when I drink five litres a day, every time any spirits come to me, they told me they sh that I should be drinking more. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. Now, the reason why drinking water is so important is because water hydrates your physical body, right? Now, in hydrating your physical body, the emotional adjustments you make when you release an emotion cause physical changes in your body and those physical changes cause a lot of releasing of toxins in your body so a lot of toxins get released and water is the mechanism by which all toxins in your body get processed so so when you're on the divine love path you need to drink a lot of water you're processing emotions which are causing a whole heap of toxins to hit your system and you need to drink a lot so ever since I've began doing it, I've drank around five to six litres of water every day. Um, so if I haven't polished off two of these, these are 2.4 litres, uh, if I haven't polished off two of these by about 5pm, then normally I'm saying, mm, I wonder what I was doing today, why didn't I love myself? And you'll find that after a while your whole body will get used to that and you will also smell a lot better. 
right? Because water hydrates all of your system, all the toxins get pushed out as you, as you go. So, change your diet, first thing is with water. One, oh yeah, I was going to tell you about this lady. And we were having a discussion, there would have been about, I don't know, 40 or 50 people. This was in Florida, uh, in the US. And this lady put up her hands, she said, are you telling me that I can't be at one with God while I drink Diet Coke? And I said, yes, actually, you're not going to be at one with God by drinking Diet Coke. Right? And that is, by the way, a valid answer, because you're not loving your body if you drink Diet Coke. And so it's all about lack of love of self. Does that make sense? And she said, oh, I don't want to be at one with God then. Fair <laughs> She got up and left the discussion. Yeah. It's amazing what people will how, what people will do to sacrifice their relationship with God. That's uh, and drinking diet coke for her was was the critical point. Yeah. So change your diet. Drink a lot of water. Now I'm not saying you don't can't have a cuppa or whatever you want to do, but water is processed completely differently by your body than any other drink. So you can have water in something. And that's totally different than having just water by itself for your body. Your body processes it completely differently. Because all of the other processing has to go through the filtering system of your body, whereas water can be just absorbed immediately without needing to be processed. And so that's why it's really important to drink water. Drinking water also has the effect of challenging some of your emotions. And you'll find that when you start drinking a lot of water. One of the first emotions is, oh, I need to go to the toilet too often. And you'll start understanding that you don't care about yourself enough. You're not in contact with your body enough. You'll start actually realizing that most of the time your body is dehydrated. Right? Now your body is, what is it, 70 something percent water? And if you don't, now you think about your mass. So many of us are in between the 50 to 100 kilogram bracket. 70% of that, if I'm 100 kilograms, 70 kilograms of my mass is water. Now, that's a lot of water circulating around this system. And that needs to be hydrated, kept going. That system needs to be kept going. So, drink water. Now, when you start drinking water, you'll find that a lot of emotions will start getting triggered because of it. And so that's something that's a natural byproduct of drinking water. The next thing to do with your diet is... Now these are just suggestions. You don't have to do any of them. Eat vegan. Vegan definition of vegan is no animal products in your diet. So no meat, no eggs, no milk, no animal products at all in your diet. Um, a question over, over there? Hi, AJ. I'm struggling with protein. Yep. Good. Good question. Um, by the way, your body works this way. You need seven to nine... There's nine different amino acids that you need to construct protein. Uh, there's two different things that affect your body's construction of protein. One of them is whether you get those nine amino acids. The second thing is your emotions. All right? Now, your emotions have much more of a determining factor than even the, the ingestion of amino acids. But 
If you have a variety of greens and fruits and vegetables in your diet and they're all raw, you will not have trouble with protein. In particular, if you also have nuts and legumes, you know what legumes are? Uh, so the things like alfalfa sprouts, uh, mung bean sprouts, all those kind of things. Um, if you have nuts and legumes as long and, and, and fruit and vegetables, you will get the nine essential amino acids to construct protein. So then there's only, two, there's only one thing that can affect your body's losing protein or losing muscle mass, and that is your body's own ability to construct muscle mass from those amino acids, which is all an emotion. It's all to do with an emotion. So what I found when I went started eating vegan is I lost nearly 30 kilograms before I dealt with the emotions that caused me to continue to lose weight. Once I, start, once I dealt with those emotions that caused me to lose weight, I started putting that weight back on again. Right? So my suggestion is to... Oh, by the way, one thing I must say with drinking water, if you drink the amount of water I'm suggesting, you will need to have salt in your diet, not table salt, but mineral salts. Right? So you need to... I love salt, so have mineral salts in your diet and that'll, that'll sort out a lot of things when it comes to you drinking so much water. If you have nuts, legumes, fruits and vegetables, um, you can, you can uh, put on muscle mass, actually. In fact, the fourth strongest man in the world, I think Josh told me, the strongest man in the world four years ago was totally vegan. So, so there's no reason why you can't, you can't eat that way and still retain muscle mass. Right. Now, eating vegan is going to really challenge you. Now, when I say vegan, I'm going to also suggest another thing, is make sure a lot of it, or most of it, is raw. You will find, as you give up processed food, lots of emotions get triggered. You will find that you'll be so addicted to some of these things that you've been having every day that you think are a normal part of your diet. You'll be so surprised, trust me. And when you actually connect with the emotional reason why you eat it, you'll be surprised what the emotional reasons are. Now, getting back to the emotional reason about protein, most of the time it comes by a relationship issue with either our father or our mother and their belief system and how much we want to please their belief system. Right, so look at that particular issue if you're having a problem keeping muscle mass on a vegan diet. Right. If you change your diet, this is just a practical thing you can do, you will find it gives your whole body a shake-up. When it gives your body a shake-up, you'll find emotions start coming up because we use food and drink a lot to suppress emotion. Right? Now, many of us in the past have come home from work, you know, get out, get out one beer. Because the first beer goes down real well, so that's one gone pretty quick. Second beer you can enjoy, right? Sit down and enjoy. After two beers, you're starting to feel relaxed a bit. What emotion just got dealt with? So there's a lot of emotions that just got dealt with in that process, you see? And if you come home and instead you sit down and drink some water, you'll notice the emotions that are still there that you can suppress using the alcohol instead. When you get up in the morning and you go for that first cup of coffee, right? 
there's some big emotions in there between your sleep and your awake state. There's some big emotions going on there. Let yourself start triggering them. You'll find that they're related to emotional issues. If you change your diet, now by the way, you could also go down the track of saying, I'm, not, I'm just going to do everything that's love of self or love of others or love of my environment. Now, if you love your environment, you will definitely eat vegan. Right? Because if you knew what happened to animals to give you all the other products, including, of course, the animals' deaths, then, of course, if you loved them, you wouldn't want to do that. Does that make sense? The truth is also, if you love your body, you will always drink water. So if you can't drink water and you're finding it difficult to drink water, look at how much you don't love yourself because there's a whole big range of emotions in there generally. You see, if I have a focus of love of self and a focus of love of others and a focus of love of my environment, these things would automatically be happening for you anyway. Right? So let's uh, look what else we can do. So you could say that's something that you can practice daily. So what I might do is break down some things into... Whoa. I might break down some things into daily, weekly, monthly. And what I want to do is give you some suggestions that uh, don't take too much of your time, because I know many of you are busy during the day, you've got kids to get off to school, you've got all sorts of things, work to go to, all these things. So we want to give you some things, some practical things to access your emotions that are not going to sort of take big chunks out of your day. Does that make sense? So let's look at daily. What can I do daily? Number one, pray. Remember what prayer is. Prayer is a longing from you, a, a, a longing, a passionate longing from your feelings, from you directed towards God. It doesn't require your thought very much. It requires your feelings. Right? So practice praying during the day as you're doing other things. You're walking around doing something. You might be you know, doing the vacuuming. Practice praying, you know, feeling your emotions towards God. Practice doing that. Long for God's love to enter you. Practice praying as you're doing everything, just, just as a normal part of your life. We can do that without even changing a lot of our, our time. One thing that I feel myself, though, is that if you, can, um, if you can have at least a half an hour of time during the day where you can have some privacy to pray, that's a really good thing you, if you can arrange it. So for many of you who've got children, that might be difficult to arrange. Or maybe when they get off the bed, maybe you can have a half an hour where you just lay down and, and just feel the longing for God in that half an hour. Just give yourself time to pray. So that's really, really important. We've already said drink water. And we've already said eat vegan. These are things daily. What else can we do on a daily basis? Well, in the handout that I'm going to give, put on the net, I've got on the last page a list of dissatisfied emotions. So they're the emotions you experience when something's going wrong in your life, when things are not feeling good for you. There's a whole list of them, a whole page. 
And what I used to do myself is every single morning I would get up and just briefly scan over the page and put a ring around or take a tick next to or write down on a separate page the emotion that I woke up with. Right? So if I woke up afraid, I would look at all the... There's a whole list of emotions under fear. And I'd look at them, yes, that one, yes, that one, yes, that one. And then I would carry that with me. And then I'd just pull it out during the day and look, remind myself that I woke up this morning in that emotion. And then what I do is I take notice of my law of attraction during the day and I pull out my piece of paper and say, oh, that's that emotion again. You see, being triggered. Do you follow me? Oh, that's that emotion again being triggered. There we go. It's being triggered through the day as well. So allow that to happen. You see, a lot of dealing with your emotions is about awareness. Becoming aware of what you're feeling. If we don't know what we're feeling, how can we feel it? So we need to become aware of our feelings. We need to connect with our feelings. And if we've got these little tools or mechanisms to connect with our feelings, it's really great. So what I had to do for quite a few years, actually, is do that. Um, just to help me connect with emotion. Because I was very, very disconnected from emotion. And I needed something to do to connect myself. So examine feeling list. Now you could do that two times a day, three times a day, or just once a day, or whatever. You know, as soon as you get up, just have a brief look. You can have it plastered next to your bedside table if you wanted. I used to just have a few printouts, and I used to just ring around the emotions, so then I didn't even have to write them down. And then I'd fold up the piece of paper and whack it in my pocket, and just take it around with me all day, and then look at it occasionally. And then I would ask, give myself a bit of time each time I looked at it, just, am I still feeling that? Now, it could have been a dream that caused it, couldn't it? That you woke up with a dream that caused that particular emotion. But I, I know what a lot of your, your lives are like. You wake up in the morning by the sound of a bell, you know, it goes off, and you bolt up right in bed, right? And then all of a sudden you're in action almost, isn't it? Within a few moments, you know, you don't give yourself time to wake or anything, within a few moments everything's in action. Well, that doesn't allow you to feel that emotion that you woke up with, you see? And it causes you to distract yourself from that emotion. If we have a mic over here. Thanks, sorry. Are you saying that you would be pre we preempt every emotion that we have? Sorry? Are, are we preempting every experience we're going to have from dream time to that day? Um, not every experience, no, but, but a lot of times in our sleep state there's two things that are happening. One is that we might have a dream of all the things that we were denying the previous day. So, for example, if you had a feeling the previous day during the day that was getting shut down a lot during the day, you will actually dream about it generally overnight. So, this is why sometimes people in your previous day were in your dreams in that night. And the reason why is that there's often a whole set of emotions that we're suppressing in these interactions with people over, over days or weeks. So, take notice of your dreams because they tell you the things you're not processing in your awake state. The second thing they could be doing is just sleep state experiences that you're remembering, but even them, uh, they are law of attraction events that, are, that you're attracting in your sleep state. So either way, you wake up with an emotion, connect with the emotion, allow yourself to connect, even if it's the middle of the night, um, but if it's, if it's not the middle of the night and it's in the morning, allow yourself to connect with the emotion. 
But what often happens when we wake up in the morning, we wake up to the sound of a bell and then we're in action, which gets us way, way away from that emotion and gets us away from a lot of truth. If you can adjust your life so that you wake up naturally without an alarm clock, it's going to do amazing things for your life. Right? So that's just a bit of side advice. Throw away the clocks. You notice I don't wear one. And uh, we don't have them at home either. And it's very occasion. Oh, there, oh, there is one in our kitchen. Um, but in our eco-tent where we live and, and wake up and go to sleep, there's no, there's no uh, clock there at all. So throw away the clocks and allow yourself to start waking up naturally. When you wake up naturally, you'll wake up a certain time and you can even pre-program the time the night before so it's not like you can't wake up ready for work. But, but, you can wake up, but you can wake up naturally out of the alpha state and also know what it was that you were denying emotionally. <coughs> Sorry. Okay, so feeling list. Uh, start off in the morning with that. Now, if you just do those four things in a day, you will become far more aware of what's going on inside of you emotionally. That's all you need to do, really, in the day. And then you'll start getting quite connected with yourself. And, and then, of course, you need to deal with these emotions. But that's a different set. Of, we're not going to talk about that till a bit later. This is just some practical things. Any questions about those practical things? Yeah? Hi, AJ. On that um, water one and being a vegan, um, once every year or se sometimes several times a year, I do a fast and um, Joy does one with me as well. Yep. And um, the emotions do surface yes. in the first five days. Um, but I never knew what to do with them, so I just suppressed them. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So yeah. I'm planning on starting one to on Monday, so <laughs> hopefully yeah. today I can gleam about what, what to do with those yeah. emotions when they surface. Your body is totally capable of surviving a lot of days, actually, without, without food. Well, we do 40 days. Yep. And um, over that period of time, yes, you do you, a lot of surfaces for you. Yeah. So the key is connect with it emotionally. Otherwise, you just nothing's really benefiting. Yeah. Other than you lose a few kilos. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you lose a few kilos, but you put them back, back on again as soon as you start eating. That's the trouble. Yep. All right. Let's look at the weekly thing. Once a week. What can we do? Weekly. <coughs> um, first thing. Make a list of everything during the week that you can remember that made you angry. So it might range from, you know, a dog next door barking all night to, you know, your husband cheating on you or something like that. All the things that made you angry in that one week. Your anger list is a very important thing you to do because remember anger is the choice to avoid the next thing which is make a Fear list. 
So anger, you get into anger because you're choosing to avoid your experiencing your fear. There might be another reason and that is you have a heap of expectations that you're also ignoring that are unloving. But we'll talk about those separately. Generally, your anger is your choice to avoid your fears. So if I have an anger list of all the things that I was angry about during the week, I'm now able to identify the things that I'm afraid of from that anger list. See, a lot of times we don't equate fear with anger, do we? When somebody makes us angry, we say, oh, that was an idiot. What an idiot there, you know, driving along. Look at that idiot pass. Boy, you know, I'm gonna sit, I think I'll go right up to his bum you know, and just <laughs> sit on his backside just to prove, prove to him that I'm really upset with him. Or, you know, or look at this guy tailgating me. I'm going to slow right down and slow right down and see what he does then, you know. And we have all of these responses without really noticing what's driving them emotionally, you see. So, gee, this is even... It's pretty, it's pretty bad when it annoys me as well. How are you finding it? It's just not good, is it? And I like having both of my hands free because it's... because I wave them around too much. Anyway, let's see how we go. There's something happening where it's touching something. Alright, so anger list, fear list. Now, the fear list... The anger list is not just the things that made you like frighteningly angry. They are the things that you were just sort of smidge annoyed about during the week. Because there's big things under that, big emotions under the smidge of annoyance. So the fear list is not the things that you were terrified about. It's the things that you were afraid to do or that you arranged yourself around to not do. You know how we do that during the week. You see, in the Western world, we have so many things at our, at our resources, at our fingertips, so many resources at our fingertips, that what we finish up doing is we start constructing our environment in such a way to avoid all of our fears. Right? And we don't even notice we're doing that after a while. So after a while, yeah, I've got a really comfortable life, it's so lovely, we get up and do this in the morning, we get up and do that. And how do you feel when something changes? Oh, quite annoyed actually, but anyway, we just skip over that bit and we get back into the... And away we go, sort of living a certain life that's all been modified around my fears so that I don't have to feel the my fears anymore. So when you make a fear list, you can actually start saying to yourself, hmm, I could challenge this fear next week. So what's the fear? So during the week the fear was whenever I talked to my mother, she always said something to me and I get really annoyed with it. So I got really annoyed with what my mother say, said to me on the phone this week. That was in my anger list, right? Remember, annoyed is the choice to avoid my fear. What's my fear? I'm afraid of actually facing my mother up and saying, actually, mum, that doesn't feel very good at all. You're not loving me while you do that. I'm, I'm, I, I felt quite angry about it and I, I'm trying to get underneath and look at what is the real emotion, but I do feel that you're not being loving. Now, most of us would be very afraid to say that because that will trigger the reason why we avoid it. And the reason why we avoid it is she might then get angry with us and then we feel mummy's disapproval and we're so afraid of feeling mummy's disapproval, you see, because it, may, it means that we're not very lovable and we're just we're avoiding the emotion of being unlovable. Does that make sense? So there's a long chain of events. So 
the anger list, which was the annoyance with my mum listed, identified it was a choice that I got into, a choice to be in a rage with my mum or just even be a smidge annoyed with my mum. And it was a choice made because I avoided the fear of living in truth with my mum. It's a way for me to get out of living in truth with her. So I, instead, I make a list. My fear list is I'm afraid of my mother. I'm afraid of telling my truth to my mother. So next week I could then make a goal. Tell the truth to my mother. If my mother rings this week, I'm going to tell her the truth. Last week I was really upset with what she said. And when she doesn't want to listen to that, I'll say to her, Mum, you don't want to listen to that. I'm going to hang up now. And the next time you call me, I'm going to raise the same issue with you again. And we're going to just hang and hammer this issue until it's done. And that would be then facing the fear, wouldn't it? Of what Mummy feels with you. Yep. Fearless, very, very good way of accessing your underlying emotions. Even if you don't access an underlying emotion, at least you'll know what you're afraid of. Now, unfortunately, your fear is like a prison. If you can imagine every single fear you have is like a bar in your life. Like if you can think of a, you're in a round cage, like you know one of those bird cages, you know, with all the wires, the terrible cages for these birds. You imagine that every single fear you have is like this wire in a cage that you're just sitting inside. Right. Now, I'm sure the bird feels fairly safe inside of this cage when a cat's right outside the cage going like that to it, right? But that's about the only time the bird enjoys the cage, really, isn't it? Aside from that, it's a very constraining and confining location. And this is what our lives become in many cases because we're so used to working around our fears that our fears have become like this cage that we're just sitting inside of, sitting there terrified inside of, and we can't move except when we don't have one of those fears. So when you've got a fear list happening, remember if we do this once a week, you'll see your fear list change if you process emotion as well. Now, if you have a little uh, journal, you know what I mean, by, like a diary or something like that, you can just have a little book, this week's fear list, dun, 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 write it all down. And just the act of writing it down actually causes some changes to occur inside of you. Because you're now wanting to know what you're afraid of rather than ignoring what you're afraid of. You're wanting to know what you're angry about rather than ignoring what you're angry about. And that has an, has a, an expansion of your awareness. The third thing to do is a a desire list. Desire list is forward looking. So let's look at so what you do is you look at last week, did you actually do anything you really wanted to do last week? So that's the first question to ask yourself. And if you didn't, why? And you will make lots of excuses like, oh, I couldn't because... And every one of those becauses has a huge emotion in them. Every one of them. Because if you're not doing what you desire, there's always an emotional reason. An emotional reason that's disharmonious with love of yourself. Right? So allow yourself to look at your desire list. So make a desire list for the next week. 
and at least do one of those things on your desire list, at least one of them. Because if you're not doing at least one of them, you're not loving yourself very much. So let's say one of your desire lists might be go for a walk in a, in a uh, rainforest. So organise it, do that during the week. Your desire might be lay in the bath with all the kids gone, husband out, just, you know, just lay there, relax. That, do that. Make sure that happens this week. Right? Your desire list may be have sex with my partner every night this week. So do that. Of course you'll need their agreement, but do that. And make a desire list and then at the end of the desire list look at how much of it wasn't satisfied. Because you know where the source of many of your dissatisfied emotions come from? From not getting what you desire. Now, everything that you desire that you don't get, there is a law of attraction in motion in. So if I'm desiring to get my bath time this week, and whole of the week I don't get my bath time, there's a law of attraction there where I'm not getting what I desire. And I need to look at why. And you'll find it might be love of self. It might be that nobody around you wants to give you the time. So you're going to need to address that with your family and your partner and your children, that why can't I have the time, some time for myself? Do you see what I'm saying? Every one of those things that you don't get that's on your desire list is an emotional reason for it. And if you can allow yourself to look at it emotionally. So it's, you, you don't use this to go and blame someone and say, I wrote a desire list, I, I wrote down five desires. That's all I had this week, five desires. And I didn't even get one of those desires. And that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is look at the desire list at the end of the week, look at what you didn't receive, and then go into emotionally access why you're not receiving. Now you may need to at some point have a chat with your family about that because you may be one of the reasons why you're not getting what you want is because you're doing everything for everyone else and nobody wants to do anything for you. And you may need to address that emotionally. But deal with it emotionally in here first before you talk about it with somebody outside. But this desire list will help you look at emotional reasons why you avoid your desire. Now some of your desire list will be just a desire for the week. Some of your desires that you start appearing on this list you'll find will be universal type desires that affect your entire life. Like it'll just dawn on you one day. Oh, my whole thing that I enjoy the most in my entire life is, and then put whatever you put in there. You start connecting with your personality and what you desire the most and then you start seeing yourself differently. It's a really important part. Now, an anger list, usually you can do in 10 minutes. A fear list, well, it's based on the anger list, so usually you can access that in 10 minutes or so. And a desire list, you can do that. Or you may do it a bit differently. Sometimes what I do, and what I have done in the past, is just had a book open that on the table or somewhere, and whenever I'm working during the day or thinking during the day and I realise, oh, there's a desire, I go to my thing and just write it down. And then I look at that at the end of the week. Does that make sense? So a lot of times you can do these things just by, and fit them quite easily into your life without, and still be a, uh, what, what the world wants you to be, this nice productive individual. Of course, uh, that's also something we need to look at in, in the lists. So those three lists, see how you go making the three lists? 
And I also add a fourth list for myself. Sort of the truth versus an error list. Right. Who needs to go to the toilet? Because we had a drink, remember, half an hour ago. Yeah? All right. Well, let's say we stop for five minutes, we'll have a, have a go to the toilet, and then we'll come back. So we'll just have a break now for a few minutes. I promised you this would happen. All right. That's five minutes, that was. What's a modern day version of give you an inch and you take a mile? <laughs> have to come up with that. <laughs> give you a millimetre and come up, you take a, a kilometre. That doesn't sound as good, does it? <laughs> Alright. This is also a very... Um, oh, just one thing, James. Could you just make sure that there's not too much close-up of me, that you can actually see more of my body when you're... Yeah. Um, not that I think I've got a good body, I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm just saying when I move around, it gets lost, that's all. Um, truth versus error. Um, this is a really good little exercise to do if you can get the time to do it in a week. So again, it's something you can do each week. Now, one of the main reasons why most of us have a lot of difficulty accessing emotion is because we have a lot of beliefs inside of us that are erroneous beliefs about emotion and about ourselves, in fact. Right? And it's really important to be able to see the difference, even intellectually see that there's a difference. And that will help you actually access the emotion. So let me give you an example of a few of these types of emotions. Right? The error emotion is, I cannot cope with this emotion. How many of you have felt that? I can't cope with this emotion. I just can't cope with this emotion. Well, that is an error belief. Right? So the thing is, if we don't identify a lot of these beliefs that are errors that just pop up in our, into our awareness, what's going to finish up happening is that we're going to keep allowing them to exist within us. Alright? Now what's the truth? God made me able to experience everything. Right. That's the truth. That's the truth I'm aiming for. Now remember, that truth is not going to enter me in my mind. It can't enter me in my mind. It's going to enter me emotionally eventually. It can only enter me emotionally when this error released, is released from me, right? This error, this feeling that I have that I can't cope with this emotion. But if I have at least my mind going, God made me able, God made me able to cope with this emotion. My error belief is I cannot cope with this emotion. 
that's going to shut down the experience of an emotion. But, it, but if I have this truth belief also flicking over of God may be able to experience every emotion, then there's a higher likelihood I'll get to the emotion. Can you see that? So, if I say I cannot cope with these emotions, what would I do emotionally to do that? I would go into that emotion. I can't cope, I can't cope, I can't cope, and I go crying, I'm crying, because I can't cope, I can't cope. That's actually a release of a causal emotion. Because a causal emotion is, to, this causal emotion is actually controlling my access to other emotions. Does that make sense? So a lot of our blockages to causal emotion are causal emotions that we need to release that are belief systems that we have about ourselves. So this belief system is false. God made you able to cope with absolutely everything within you. So what I'm suggesting to you is every week, notice some of the belief systems that you have that are false. That if you were in an atonement state, you probably wouldn't believe. If you were connected with God 100% of the time, you wouldn't believe. How about this one? Error belief. I can't trust God. Huh? Many of us have that belief, by the way. The only person on this planet or anywhere in this universe that I can trust is moi, myself. That's what we believe. So we don't go, don't trust anyone. Right? What's the truth belief? God is the most trustworthy being in the universe. <laughs> right? God is the most trustworthy. So if I notice this, I can't trust God come up during the week, I can then go into that emotionally. I can actually start feeling what that feels like, to not be able to trust anyone else but myself. I can actually connect with that emotionally. And the truth belief is where I'm headed for. The beauty of knowing where you're heading for is it's like all of a sudden there's clarity. Right? Even when you're in the midst of a terrible emotion, you can have clarity sometimes because you know that the truth is this flip side, if you like. Now, I'm not saying... To, the, the danger of doing this, by the way, is that you use it as an intellectual exercise to avoid the emotional belief. I'm not saying you do that. All I'm saying is list your errors and then write down next to them what you believe the truth is if you were connected with God 100% of the time. That's what I'm suggesting. And that will help you deal with the error. Because a lot of times we have these terrible beliefs in us that are not true that then dominate our life. How about this one? I cannot cope with pain. The whole headache tablet industry is, is based on that belief. I've got a headache, bang, 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 bang. That's just too much. I've got to go and get my tablet. You know, pop the tablet, and it's all good for a little while. And then next day, bang, bang, bang. It's far better if we can deal with the emotional cause. So what, how can I get into this emotional cause? I actually don't take the headache pill. And what I do is I feel this bang, 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 bang thing going, and I allow myself to connect with my sadness about this pain. I allow myself to connect to this fear that I have about this pain. 
Because I can, the true belief is, I can cope with everything. God made you able to cope with everything, including pain. Do you know down the track in your existence, you'll have something painful happen to yourself and you'll heal it straight away. You won't even, won't, you won't even consider pain in your life anymore. You think of how many times in a day-to-day life that you consider pain right now. You think about it. Why do you wear certain clothes? Why do you do certain things? Why do you drive a certain way? Why do you put your seatbelt on? You know, there's all these different things. I know you need to put your seatbelt on from a law perspective, but what is driving you with everything you do? Why do you avoid going and doing some fun things? Because I might get hurt, you know? Why do you cross the road a certain way? Oh, but I might get hurt the other way. You know, there's all these things that we do, most of the time unknowingly, but are actually driven by this belief that I've got to avoid pain. Now, now, obviously, if I have this belief going on, I'm like in a prison. It, at, its, at its extreme, I won't do anything. And this is why some people don't do anything. Because they are so afraid that they feel that anything they do is going to create pain. So they don't do anything. So we need to allow ourselves to look at this belief system. So write down these belief errors. Now you'll notice if you deal with causal emotion, your belief systems will change. And you'll look back through your diary, you'll go, wow, I had that belief a year ago. And I don't even think of that now. I'll give you an idea of some beliefs I had. I used to, I couldn't go shopping. I could not go shopping. I used to, this is when I was in my 20s, and I was married, we had two children. I could not go shopping. I was so afraid to go into a shopping centre. The reason why I was so afraid is every time I walked into a shopping centre, it felt like there were like thousands of eyes looking at me all the time. And I just got freaked out about it so much that in the end I used to stay in the car and I used to do some work or read a book while my wife went shopping. Just that, it, just that I was uncomfortable going shopping. Yeah. yeah. And my wife loved shopping, so it wasn't any, wasn't any uh, mixed match, a mixture of error-based emotions, right? So, so what did I do after that? So this was after, after um, I broke up from the relationship and I realised I was in such a mess emotionally and I was in such a dark place emotionally, I didn't know what to do, you know? And then I realised I just had this huge fears, like these bars that were in my prison. I just had this prison of my own making. So I decided I had to start challenging my fears. So what I did was I decided twice a week that I'd go to a shopping centre, the biggest shopping centre in the place where, that, that we lived, or near the place that we lived, was one of these great big, like it's a similar size to, uh, what's it down the road here? Chermside, similar size to that. And, and I decided I'd go there twice a week for, for four hours at a time and all I would do, I would have to stay in the environment for four hours. Now whether I shopped or not was immaterial, I had to just stay there, I just made myself stay there. Right? Lots of emotions come up because initially when I stayed there I couldn't walk into the shops to get even my clothes. I would only ever buy clothes where there wasn't any shop assistance. Who's ever done that in their life? Yeah, there's probably a few. All I would do is I'd only go into a shop where there were no assistants. 
because I was so afraid to even ask for somebody to help me find something. So, I, so, so initially, it took a few months, initially, all I did was I sat on a chair in the shopping centre. And after a while, like, it didn't take long, that uh, that became quite scary because someone would walk past me, you know, in their shopping, and even in a big shopping centre, you know, eventually you get back to walk past again at another time, right? And then I'd start noticing people notice me sitting in the same place two hours later, you know, and looking at me and projecting that, oh, what's that idiot doing? Like, and so because I was so sensitive to that emotion, I then realised, oh, I'm in the same place, I can't stay in the same place here, you know, so I have to work my way through this projection. And then, and then, I, then I started walking around a bit, you know, and then all these people still looking at me and I'd try and hide and whatever else. And then after a while I, got, I could walk comfortably. And during this time, twice a week, I went to a fellow who did mind-body work, you know. And he would actually, a lot of times, trigger emotions that the next week I would notice that I'd let go when I went to the shopping centre. And so I got to the point then, by the end of a few months, that I had dealt with all of my shopping phobias. And as Mary will tell you now, I'm a shopaholic, but that's a different story. But now when we go shopping, it's really fun, isn't it? Like, we go shopping, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoy shopping, like, now. So when Mary's, Mary's shopping for women's clothes, I go in the women's shop and pick up all the stuff off the racks and put them into tryer on. And so Mary's, Mary spends all of her time just sitting in the booth putting on different clothes and coming out, basically. Um, and I just really love the whole experience. It's really joyful. And women really project at you when you have an attentive male in a, in a um, shop. Yeah. It's really different for me. So, they, so you get these shop assistants that are women. Some of them like the fact that I do it for Mary. Others are at Mary. And like, so, so there's all these different projections that happen now as a result. But I really enjoy the process. And, uh, and so now it's really joyful for me shopping. And... Uh, the other problem I had is I would never go up to somebody and ask them where something was. How many of you feel the same way? You'd never go to somebody and ask them. A few of you. Well, I was terrible with it. I would never ask anybody. What I, what I would do is I'd get on the internet, I'd check this out, I'd check that out, I'd read books, I'd do everything but ask somebody who might know. Everything, if you can imagine that. So often it took me like months to find out how to do something that I could have just gone and asked somebody or phoned them, but I, I didn't want to. So that really triggered me. So what I started to do then was every time I went into a shopping centre, I started just asking people even when I didn't, when I already knew, right? Just to challenge this emotion in me. And it brought up lots of emotions for me of not being worthy, being misunderstood, and lots of other emotions. Like, so lots of emotions come up as a result. So what I'm suggesting is, with the fear list that you have, start doing things to challenge some of those fears. Right? So what we're going to do next week, I'll give a talk about fear again, and we'll talk about fear in a lot more detail about psychologically and also physiologically what's happening inside of you with regard to fear. But then I will start looking at how can we challenge these fears emotionally. And what I'll do is I'll make a heap of suggestions of movies to watch, books to read, and so forth, and uh, to trigger these fears to help you feel them and release them inside of you. And so what happened, the beauty of the journal for me was that I could look back and, and a year later I could look back and say, wow, like 
I don't even have that feeling in me anymore. I don't have that feeling in me anymore. It's a beautiful thing to not have a controlling feeling in you anymore and to notice it. And after a while you notice you drop one, two, five, ten, you I don't have you know, I'm not scared of my mother anymore. I'm not scared of my father anymore. I'm not scared of somebody's anger anymore. I'm not scared of what a spirit might do to me anymore. I don't worry anymore about an accident happening to me. You know? I was insured to the hilt at one point in my life. Like, you know what it's like. You, you go and you get all this medical insurance, you get all this, you know, accident, dismemberment coverage. I've got that as well. You know the, the coverage that has, uh, if you get sick, what's it called? Uh, disability coverage, get that as well. And, and life and death cover, of course you get that as well. And so like I was like, literally I was spending over $1,000 a month on insurance, just on personal insurance. 12, 12 or $12,000 every year on personal insurance. Because that's how worried I was about my life. Right? So, so why is that all happening? Because there's all these fears and it all needs to be worked way through. And of course my law of attraction was that some of those things would, would of course happen to me because I was afraid of them happening. And so I was, quite, I was sick quite often. When I say quite often, usually once a month. Usually for a week or so I was sick. Which is of course the reason why I, I didn't... The answer to that was get more insurance. Uh, not deal with the emotion. You know, it wasn't until I started dealing with emotion I go, oh, I haven't got asthma anymore. Wow, like, and all that was was a few months of crying, right, about some causal emotional things, but it just disappeared completely, like gone. I used to take permanent antihistamines. Who's a permanent antihistamine user? You know what I mean? None of you. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I was permanent with it, though. I used to take, uh, there was Zadine and all these other types of things back in my day when I was taking it. I would almost go anywhere and I would get allergic to it. A cat, a, you know, any, if we drove down past, you know, a wheat field, bang, I'd be allergic to that. And it would be streaming. My eyes would be streaming, my nose would be running. I'd be, the reason why I still carry hankies around with me is because, you know, how many people do this nowadays? Not very often. Right, some, I know. But not very many. And, and the reason why I still do it is because I've just got into this physical habit now because I, if I didn't have a hanky with me, I was dead. I was a goner. Like, now I cry all the time, so it's handy. But the, the, the beauty was that once I started crying, all of those disappeared. All of them. And, if, and I have my journal, so I know that. I know all of that happened. I know what I was like. And, uh, of course, my mother and father know what I was like too with regard to all of those things because they had to put up with my ver years and years and years of having these ailments. don't have any of them anymore. At all. Right? And I, can, I know what was the release. The release was a lot of crying. There was a lot of tears. And, and each thing had certain things involved in it. You know, my allergy to cats linked to my father's hatred of cats. And there was all these other things that happened and once they were released, all disappeared. And the beauty of your journal and also looking at your error list and also doing these things every week is you keep a track of that. You see, a lot of times, many of us don't realise that we're changing. 
And so we, we, when we go through a hard time, we give up because we don't realise that actually the other hard times we went through, we got through and we changed and we released some things. So it's really great having, having these mechanisms, if you like, to keep track of the fact that you're changing. And, and sometimes it's so interesting reading the journal of a person who's on the divine love path. Really interesting. You'll see the areas that you haven't dealt with in a year. You'll see the areas that you've dealt with in a year. And you'll see what's going on inside of yourself. And you can't fool yourself when you have a journal happening. You can't fool yourself that I've dealt with something when a year ago you wrote down it and yesterday you wrote down the same thing. So you can't fool yourself with that. All right. Monthly. Just one thing on your monthly list. Plan something once a month that you really love and make sure you do it. Plan something once a month and make sure you do it. So this is all if you're having trouble connecting with your emotions. When you're not having trouble connecting with your emotions, a lot of these things will happen automatically, by the way. You won't have to plan once a month to do something that's loving to yourself because you'll be starting to do it every day. You won't have to every week look at your fear list because every moment you know what you're afraid of. Do you know what I mean? But initially it takes, takes a bit of effort to get from this place where I'm totally in the dark with regard to all of my emotions and what I want is total exposure with all my emotions. That's what I want. And I need to get from one place to the other place. And what I'm suggesting were the different methods that I've used to get from one place to the other place. Does that make sense? Now I don't need to make a list anymore. I know what I desire. Every single moment almost I know what I desire. I know what I'm afraid of right now. I know what, I, what makes me angry. Very little now, but I still know what makes me angry. And I know it moment by moment. And I connect with the emotion that's underneath moment by moment almost just about 100% of the time. Not all the time, but almost 100% of the time I can feel the emotion and connect to it straight away. And it doesn't worry me, doesn't worry me where I am. Nina? Could you share some of your desires? Some of my desires? Um. <laughs> um. Well, what I want to do, <coughs> what I want to do is actually list. Um, I'll list God's priority list for you, and then I'll talk about my desires with those, that list. How's that sound? Yeah, I just, um, yeah. I'm just thinking. Oh, my desires, and I'm thinking. Oh, mm. so yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's look, let's look at this next thing first, which is a priority list. So this is another thing that I do. Um, you can do this once a month or once a week or up to you. I call it I actually call it my love list. Or the love my love priority list. 
in the first century I said these words, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You see, what you finish up doing most in your life is telling you what you really want. See, most people don't realise that. Most people don't realise that. Because many of us are working 40 hours a week, which is a fair slice of our life, right? How many hours are there in a, year, a week? I think there's 192? 168? Is it? 168? 40 over 168? That's about one quarter, isn't it? So one quarter of my life, I'm working around about. Right. Now that job better be a damn good job that I really love because that's one quarter of my life that's just disappearing down the tube if it's not. Can you see that? Right. How, many time, how, much, how many hours do I sleep? Seven, let's say eight a night, seven eights. Seven eights, 56? Right. We're looking now like getting close to one third, aren't we? Very close. One third of my life I sleep. Why haven't you got a comfortable bed? Why isn't your comfortable bed a huge king size thing and, and just like heaven to sleep in? Like you just love looking at it. Why isn't it just this awesome place for you to reside in? And why isn't it in this room that you just love being in? Can you see? You're spending one third of your life there. Right? So why isn't it something that's really, really good? Why, why, is it, why is it this $100 job that you got from the second hand store that's got all these, these, these sort of little you know, rods going up the back of it and, and everything and you roll over and you've got all these aches and pains when you wake up and you say, oh, I must get a new bed and you never do. Why is it like that? Right? Now, all together, all together, we're looking at almost half, more than half of our life just gone in those two things. Agreed? Okay, if you're not loving yourself, then you can see that your work's going to show it and your bed's going to show it. Okay. Okay, so let's look at love list. Let's look at the love list from the point of view of God, it's God's perspective. What does God, what did God create you to love that will bring you the most joy and bliss? This is the list you could think of it as this is God's priorities for you. This is how God created you. The first thing on your love list, God created to be God. You can totally deny it. That's fine, but that's what God created. The second thing on your love list, God created to be your self. Now, when I'm talking about yourself, I'm not talking about yourself as this being, this physical flesh thing. Remember I'm talking about the soul, which is the two halves of the soul, is self. That's our self. You're one half of yourself right at the moment. So when I'm talking about self, I'm talking about self as including your soulmate. Yeah, most of you, a lot of you don't even want to meet your soulmate. Right? So there's a big issue. That you don't want to meet half of yourself. Can you see that? That's a big issue emotionally, isn't it? 
Why would I not want to meet half of myself? I must have some big emotions tied up in that. Like if I think that, the half, let's say I'm a male and I think the other half of myself is a female, and if I don't want to meet her, gee whiz, I must have quite a lot of emotions about females to actually not meet the other half of myself. Can you see that? Uh, there's a big emotions in that. All right. Now, others. We will break others down into a list. The first set of others is the children. I don't mean your children. I mean all of the children. Why don't I mean just your children? Because in the end, all children have... We are a part of their environment. I have a responsibility towards all children to help them grow in their love of their true maker, their true parent, not me, and it's not even their mum and dad. Right? These children are just developing souls and that's why they should form part of our highest love priority. And then other people. Now, I don't just mean people, I mean people here on earth, whether they are, so whether they are mortal, in other words, or here on earth, or a spirit. Because they're all people. So I'd have just as much love for uh, do for you that I can see to the spirits at the moment that are here. Oh, by the way, there are far more spirits here than, than you are here. Rather than... Oh, I would have just as much love for them in the presentation that I'm giving as well. Does that make sense? If I'm putting things as God's priority. What comes next? From God's perspective, do you think? Sorry? Creatures, okay. So look, should, should we, do, we can divide creatures up, but let's just put creatures. By creatures, we're talking about living and moving creatures, right? So creatures. Now, from God's perspective, there are two types of creatures. There's the type of creature that has a central nervous system, that has a spirit body, and then there's the type of creature that doesn't have a central nervous system and doesn't have a spirit body. All right? So there, to give you an illustration, some creatures on the planet don't have a central nervous system. Um, give an example off the top of my head. Yeah, no, like, a, a, like a mosquito, for example. Right? But they're still a creature. They're still a living creature. Right? So, bam, got rid of that creature, right? I wouldn't be able to do that so easily if I loved them. And they're biting me, they're biting me. Something I love bites me. Oh, there's an emotion in that. See, everything, there's an emotion. You'll find when you deal with a lot of these emotions, the creatures won't harm you. If you don't deal with the emotions, the creatures reflect back at you the emotions that you have yet to heal within yourself. So if you're a person who gets eaten alive by mosquitoes, there's a lot in that for you emotionally. Does that make sense? But this is our love list. This is God's love list. Creatures, uh, can I just like central nervous system creatures and then non-central nervous system creatures. What would come next? So flora. All the, all the flora, wouldn't it? So, 
trees, plants, vegetation, food, all these different things, all part of this thing. So am I loving something if I destroy the whole thing? I've got to look at things like that. That's part of my love list. But I would not sacrifice something lower on my love list for something higher. In other words, I never ever sacrifice my love of God in my entire life. Even if it means me dying, I will not sacrifice my love of God if I have my priorities right. Can you see that? This is my priorities of love. I will never sacrifice God if I, if I have got my priorities right. So if someone asks you to deny God, just a simple question, all you've got to do is deny God or get shot. What would you do? You'd get shot. Because you wouldn't deny God. That's your priority list. This priority list, by the way, is going to create the most happiness in your life that you can ever imagine. This priority list. But it's a lot of challenge. Because, like, let's look at the next priority. Self. Alright? You've just been captured in a war and they're going to force you to get into a truck where they're going to take you to a prison, right? They're going to force you to get in this truck. If you don't get in the truck, they're going to shoot you. What will you do? You'll get shot. Because you love yourself more than that. You have free will, and that person has now just broken the law of free will, and you can't agree with that. If I love God, I can't agree with it. And also, if I love myself, I can't agree with it. So I will not do it. So it means I get shot. Thank you. Thank you. I um, would probably think that if I love myself and I'd like to continue living, which many of us do, then why wouldn't I want to get into the truck? You just expressed an emotional injury. Okay. Let's look at the emotional injury. I would like to continue living. I don't want to be shot. If it's a choice in um, get into a truck or be shot, I'm likely but, to but choose But you don't want to truck. get in the truck either? No. But if the other alternative is to be shot and yep. I choose... Uh, I prefer more to avoid being shot than getting into the truck. Why, why would that be... Because why would I want to die at that point? But you're not dying. Well, See, I you, will. You I... This, is, this is the underlying emotional injury. But why would I want to leave the earth if I still want to... Why would I want my body to die, even though my spirit's not going to? You don't I'm want not it to die. They're making the choice, not you. You're making a choice as to what you want for yourself. What you want for yourself is to never have your free will harmed. And you're allowed to make that choice. The truth is you're just expressing an emotional injury in that you don't believe there's an afterlife. You don't believe it's just as good, if not better, than here. right? And, and you're willing to compromise your free will in order to extend your life. And that is an act of hatred towards yourself. I'm a parent and I lost a parent when I was young. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to be shot? Now you're starting to identify the causal emotional reason why you feel the way you do. And you're just about to connect to it, so go with it. You, lo- you did lose your parent, and that's the thing, the feeling that you're avoiding. Does that make sense? 
with every single thing we say that's out, out of harmony with this priority list, there is an emotional reason why we're choosing to do it out of harmony with that list that God created. And what I'm saying is very confronting, yes? Isn't it? Because basically I'm saying if someone's got a gun to your head, if you honoured just the law of free will, you wouldn't do what they ask just because they've got a gun at your head. Does that make sense? Now it's pretty challenging to face, isn't it? The way our the way our society is structured, our free will gets impinged upon daily. No, you choose to allow your free will to get impinged upon daily. Okay. So. Why do you do that? Because you're afraid of something. What are you afraid of? Well, just to take road tolls, for example, if I decided to, say, sit at the bridge and not pay the road toll, it feels like just being... I pay the road toll, say, or I agree to the impinges on my free will because it seems... Yeah, but see, the example you're given is not impinging on your free will. See, this is... Many of you have very, very um, distorted viewpoints of free will. Someone charging you a road toll to go over a bridge is not impinging on your free will because you're a, you can go on another route. Right? You can choose to go a different direction. Right? You're choosing to go in that direction because it's the most expedient because you've got other reasons for going in that direction so you pay the toll. Somebody built that bridge and you're actually thanking them for that bridge by paying the toll. So to me that's not impinging upon your free will. Okay, like I feel that we pay too much taxes. Okay, so that might be impinging on your free will. And certainly, there's no need for any of us to pay tax. The truth is that we could rearrange the entire economic system so none of us have to pay tax. Yeah, right. right. So certainly that's an area we need to address with our free will. Yeah. Did you know actually there's not even a law that can force you to pay tax? It's voluntary. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting what we voluntarily do, isn't it? Because we're afraid. You see, a lot of times what's happening is that we don't have God's list of priorities with regard to love, so we start compromising. When you compromise these priorities, you will create pain for yourself every time. So, for example, whenever you put others before yourself, in other words, if you have to not love yourself to do something for someone else, you're going to hurt from that. At some point, you will hurt from that. Whenever you put your dog ahead of your child, you are going to feel some pain about that in the future because there are a whole lot of laws you break doing it, believe it or not. So, this is the love list that God has for you. God's basically saying, if you like, God's basically saying, and, and you, this is, you don't have to believe me with this, you can put this into practice. When you live your life like this, you'll find you'll be the happiest you could possibly be. You start breaking the laws in any of these areas, you'll find your happiness will degrade. And you can put that into practice at any time and test this out. But that is the list of love, if you like, that God created for you to live. If you want to, because you have free will, you're allowed to do that or not do it, it's up to you. Alright, so what I do then, so that's, I know this is God's list, so what I do then is I have God's list and then what I do this is really exposing this is how I've exposed lots of my own emotional injuries 
What I've done is I look at my last week and look what I did. So last week, what did I do? How much time did I spend communicating, feeling, doing things with God? Oh, no, I did uh, half an hour Monday. So, you know, this is fictitious, of course, because I have, it's totally different for me. But let's say I did half an hour Monday, three hours Tuesday, nothing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, too busy. Saturday I did an hour or two. So let's say I did five, six hours. How much time did I spend caring for myself, doing my stuff for myself? All right, well, I slept. So that was like 56 hours. And then I, uh, you know, I ate, so that was like how many meals a day? Well, you know, brekkie was only 10 minutes, but lunch was about 15 minutes, so let's say the whole thing was about an hour a day, seven hours, so there's seven hours there. Right. Can you see straight away, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously feeling a lot more for myself than I am for God. Agreed? Right. Okay, how much of that time did I do for others? Like, oh, well, I work for others mostly. Let's say I... I hate this job, but I do it mostly because I have to bring home some pay for the family. So really, I'm not doing that for myself, am I? I'm just doing it for my family. I'm doing it for others. So there's 40 hours. What else did I do for others this week? Oh, well, I dropped off the kids at school, picked them up, dropped off, picked them up, took them up to... Oh, that's right. I, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays, they go to, they go to music class, and then um, my daughter's got ballet class and then I picked them up from there and ran around. When I add all that up, by the time I add all that, it's another seven hours, let's say, and so forth. Can you see, but by the time we start adding some things up, we start seeing what our real loves are all about. What our real priority list is. Does that make sense? And when you start comparing your real priority list with God's priority list for you, you start being able to see very rapidly why you're unhappy. So it's a great way to expose emotional injuries within yourself. You can start seeing things about yourself. Mary? AJ, um, for me, when you were writing that list, um, I was thinking, I'm not sure that um, hours quantify it correctly for me. Like, when, when I'm um, picking up my daughter from ballet, for example, if I... I can be doing that um, while I'm communicating with God and, and really um, loving myself in that exchange. Of course. Yeah, so... So this is why I call it emotional. Yeah. So if we start looking at it from an emotional perspective, I can actually be praying to God every single moment of the day that I do everything else. So every waking moment I could actually be praying. Because remember, praying is a longing inside of your heart for God, right? A longing for God. So I could actually, of the 168 hours, be doing it 168 hours because I can do it in my sleep state as well as my awake state. And in fact, that's the ideal condition. So I could say emotionally, 168 hours out of 168 hours, I'm longing for God's love. But, but the issue with the time, the real hours, is that it gives you an indication of where you're compromising yourself. So all of these things are just, remember I said at the start of this, it's all just tools to help you access your denied emotions. So these are all just practical tools that you can use to help you access and see what's going on. And what I noticed a lot was this. What I did was I wrote down my overall priority list right at the beginning. 
Now for me, God has always been emotionally at the top of my list. Then came others. So my children and my partner. And then came birds. Oh, no, no, not, not the feathered variety. <laughs> I wasn't that keen on a lot of animals except for native animals. And then there was just something that... Then, then of course, flora was my next. These are my loves. My flora, the flora, you know, the plants and everything. I've always loved plants and everything. I've never really gone for like domestic animals. I, I, I would have to say at the beginning, I definitely didn't love any domestic animal. Didn't love dogs. I was bitten by four of them when I was young. So I didn't love dogs. I had an issue with dogs, right? I had an emotional issue. In the first century, part of my face was eaten away by dogs when I was 20. And so since then, I've had emotional issues with dogs that I had to work my way through. So, so I didn't love dogs. Cats, well, my father hated cats, so I couldn't love cats and get my father's love. So, you know, cats were a problem. So I never really loved them. They didn't even make the list. So there were things that didn't even make the list. Then I'd have to say things like uh, sort of how inanimate stuff. I haven't put inanimate stuff on this, but that's even underneath. So things like my house, my home, and things like that came next. And then right down the bottom was this person called... Self, but but actually it was just the half of the self, because the soulmate half of the self came right up here, right? So that was my list, and you know that list has taken me years to undo, years of emotional work to undo. Particularly this bit, putting that down there, has taken me years to address. I've had literally hundreds and hundreds of emotions to deal with and every emotion that I dealt with made it go up one and made it go up some more and made it go up some more and eventually I got to the point where self was there, where it should be. And to be frank, even now I'm still fluctuating between self and others, self, others, self, others, self, particularly when it comes to my soulmate. So the other half of self still comes before me, which is not what's correct to do. But that's still happening. So I'm just in that mode now of just fluctuating there. But it's taken me years of emotional processing to face up to the fact that self was right down the bottom. Now, the beauty of having a list like that and and writing up, well, what what was it like this week for you? Where, Where did self come this week? Where did, you know, caring for the animals come this week? Did it make your list at all? If you're eating meat, caring for the animals didn't come anywhere on your list this week. Okay? You've got to stop being untruthful with yourself. By the way, just a side comment. The divine love sanctuary that some of you have set up is not a divine love sanctuary if you don't implement divine love laws and principles. So, if, if people go there eating meat, it's no longer a divine love sanctuary. You know, it's no longer a natural love sanctuary even. 
It's just become the block of land out in the bush now. Can you see that? Because if it was a divine love sanctuary, you'd be wanting to implement divine love laws while you're present on the sanctuary. Wouldn't you? So it is quite hypocritical for us to call something a divine love sanctuary when we're not, we're not actually putting in place the divine love laws at the sanctuary. Can you see that? So, so, so either stop calling it a divine love sanctuary or start implementing the divine love laws at the sanctuary. And the divine love laws are going to incorporate this kind of list of priorities for every single person on the property. Does that make sense? Because they are not your laws, are they? They are God's laws. And if I'm on the divine love path, I'm not interested in what my opinion is anymore. I am only interested in what God's opinion is. <laughs> Can you see that? And all I'm looking at is bringing my loves and my life and my laws and the principles that govern my life into harmony with the divine love laws. And the beauty of a love list is it should, it's telling you what should make your list of loves. And if I'm eating meat, I am not loving animals. And, and a lot of people say to me, oh, but I love my pets. And they eat meat still, but they love their pet. I'm sorry, you do not love your pet. If you're eating meat still, you do not love your pet. You need your pet for another emotional reason that you need to address. Because you are not loving your pet if you're eating meat around your pet. They can feel your soul's intention to harm animals. Don't you think that? Of course, they can feel everything. Dogs and cats in particular are so sensitive to your emotions, they can feel everything you feel. Why do you think your cat wants to go out and murder 182 birds or whatever it is a year? It's because of your desire to eat meat and you not working through all of that emotionally and, and some other emotions too, of abundance and so forth. That's why these animals that are close to us do these things. We need to address those issues. So if, if I didn't have any love of others during this week, then others wouldn't even be on my list. Does that make sense? If I didn't have any love of animals during the week because I ate meat during the week, then creatures are not on my list. Does that make sense? If I can get a block of land and totally bulldoze every plant on the property, then the love of flora was not on my list this week. And I need to address these loves if I want to bring myself in harmony with God. But what I'm saying is to not be critical of yourself about all these things. The key is just to use this list as a tool to access your causal emotion. Can you see what I'm saying? Use it as a tool to say to yourself, all right, all right, well this week, this week I had alcohol. Am I loving myself if I have alcohol? What's alcohol to your body? It's a poison, right? So I'm ingesting a poison. Is that loving my body? No. So I'm not loving myself when I did that. How many hours a week did I do that? How many hours this week did I have my beer? Now in my case, I used to have a whole collection of red wine. It was a very expensive collection of red wine that took me thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to put together. And once I realised that law, that I wasn't loving myself anymore, any, anymore, you know what I did? I still compromised love. Because you know what I did? 
I gave it all away. Which helped every other person who I gave some of that red wine to to compromise the law of love as well. Now, I didn't think of that at the time. I realise that now. I, I probably should have smashed them all. Right? And that would have meant that nobody else was also harmed with their love of self. But I gave it all away. Have a big cry afterwards as well. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. It was an easy thing to do. But there are some things you'll find are really hard to do when you realise that. Now, what I'm suggesting to you is that if you know that your love list is out of harmony with God's love list, then when you break it, there is more of a penalty of breaking it. Like if you know what to do and you don't do it, it is worse for you than if you, had, than if you didn't even know what to do. And then a lot of people go, oh, all right, then, oh, so, okay, okay. So AJ's basically telling us that we shouldn't bother coming along to any more seminars of his anymore because the more he tells us, the worse it gets for us. Right? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that because in the spirit world, you know, there's this whole location in the spirit world in the first sphere, in the hills, of all the people who wanted to remain ignorant. They used their ignorance as an excuse to not do anything in harmony with love. And that has a large penalty associated with it as well, a large consequence to your soul. So what I'm suggesting is become informed about what makes you happy. Remember I said at the beginning of this love list that if we bring our loves into harmony with God's loves, that will mean you are the happiest possible person you could ever be. Now eventually, if you do that, you'll become at one with God. Guaranteed. The only reason why we're ever not at one with God, in fact, is because we have our love list out of harmony with God's love list. Right? Can you see that if I am going to be at one with God, I am going to need to love the same things God loves? Can you see that? In the same order, even? Can you see that? And then I'll be in harmony with God's love. So this is an essential part of me becoming in harmony with God's love in the end. So look at your love list. I use the love list quite often for me and myself and Mary together we've used it quite often too, haven't we? Just to identify what's really going on at the emotional level. And it can help you so much to, ah, okay, there I put my mother ahead of my partner. Many of you do that on a daily basis. Put your in-laws or your parents ahead of your partner or your child even. Many of you go around with your little children to, your, to their grandparents and all of a sudden treat your little children differently because you're, with your gran because you're with your parents. Because you know they'll be unhappy if your child does this or they'll be unhappy if your child breaks that. Or, and so you treat your child differently. What's that doing? That's putting your grandparent ahead of your child. Which way was it meant to be around again? The child has to become first because the child is the one who's developing and you're assisting the child to develop. So that has to come first in your loves. And yet often we reverse that. Right? You see, every time we reverse something, we create a disharmony with the law of love. Every time we reverse a priority in our love list, we, be, we create so much disharmony with the law of love that there's penalties associated or consequences associated upon our own soul about what we've just created. So do you know what will happen when we've done that with our child and our, grand and our parent? 
if our child is now treated differently when we go around to our parents, do you think your child's going to want to go around to your parents anymore? No, that's why half the time we want to say, oh, we're going around to visit Nana now. I don't want to visit Nana. I don't want to visit Nana. And by the time they get to 15, 16, do they want to visit Nana? No, they don't want to want a bar of Nana. Nana's just there to control my free will. I don't want any part of it, but we created that. We created that by actually putting our parents' laws ahead of our, our God's laws for our child. So, so when we bring our love list in harmony with God's laws, you'll find that's when you create the most harmony. Does that make sense to everyone? And so it's a really good way to identify what's going on inside of you emotionally. Uh, just hang a sec. It's also fair to say that we, if we, um, I just had it so gone, but if we would never um, actually be unloving to creatures if we love God and we love ourselves and we love others. So we're never actually going to sacrifice any, it's never, it's never right to say, I can't love others because I have to love myself because that would never work. Yes, we don't sacrifice one for the other necessarily, but, but we understand that every time I sacrifice one that's on lower on the list, I'm actually sacrificing myself anyway. I'm saying there's a lot more complexity in what I'm describing in this love list, all right? What I'm describing is very basic. It's just as a way of helping you. It's a tool to help you get in touch with some emotions. I'm not saying don't love creatures. Or I'm not saying don't sacrifice a creature in order to love others. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is use the list to see how you prioritise things in your life in terms of love. Because in the end you will love all of those things. right? But you will certainly love... Uh, your soulmate more than you'll love your children and you'll certainly love your children more than you'll love animals in the end but it doesn't mean you don't love animals so in other words my love of animals would mean that I couldn't kill one even if my child was starving right so I'm not going to sacrifice the love of one for the other mind you it's when you say sorry if we can have a microphone. Um, when you were talking about grandparents and so forth, and um, free will, whatever. Sorry? Uh, when you were speaking about grandparents, yep. I'm just wondering where the virtues of respect and um, all those other things come into it. Um, if I respect people, I will automatically respect my grandparents, but I'll also respect my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I'll also expect, respect everyone. You, as a grandparent, are not more important to me than my children. Mm -hmm. And my children won't be more important to me than you. But from, God's, from a love perspective, I need to take care of how I love my children, and I would not sacrifice my children's will just for you. So, can I just point out something about the word respect? Every time a person asks, asks the question about respect, it means that they feel unrespected. So there's a causal emotion inside of you that you need to deal with. The well, truth is... not in me, because I ha I'm not a grandparent for a start. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. You ask the question about respect. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that with regard to the issue of respect, if I respect and love myself, mm -hmm. and I love God, 
I will not need anyone else's respect or love. I will not even complain when somebody disrespects me, but the likelihood of it occurring is going to be very low because I already respect myself. Now, I, I don't think I asked that very well. Um, what I'm, maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. It just seemed to me that you were saying uh, children visiting their grandparents or whatever, whoever, yep. and uh, them having their own free will mm -hmm. but there's a place where we have to in society where we do have to follow certain uh, rules well that's what I'm asking you this is what I teach and now I'm yeah. wondering what I should be teaching <laughs> can I just talk about the rules that we have to follow right. if we want to be happy mm -hmm. the only rules we have to follow is God's rules and all of God's rules revolve around love. And love naturally incorporates respect. Right? But that, I can't demand respect from another. Respect is something that needs to come from a love space within them. And also I need to look at my law of attraction if I'm not respected. If I'm not respected by the other, I need to see, ask myself firstly the question, how much do I not respect myself? Right? Because the more I respect myself, the more respect I will automatically command from others. And I don't mean command in the terms of verbally, you must respect me. I mean that you'll feel the feeling inside of myself that I respect myself and you'll automatically want to respect me as a result of that respect that I have for myself. It's very similar about the laws of love of self. So, with regard to teaching children, the only thing we need to teach the child is God's laws of love. And in the end, if they love, they will respect. But they won't respect a person more than they'll respect their own desire, for example. So not, in other words, let's say I have a desire that's harmonious with love and you want me to not have that desire. So let's say my desire harmonious with love is uh, I want my soulmate to be a part of my life. That's my desire harmonious with love. Let's say you're a friend of my soulmates and you just don't like me very much let's say, and, and you just feel I'm the wrong person for her. Right? Now, I can respect you, but disagree with you completely. And I don't have to live my life by what you feel should happen. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yes, I do understand all of that. Um, but if I love you, mm -hmm. I will tell you, your desire for me to not be with this girl mm -hmm. is about your emotional injuries. And I'll be happy to tell you that what those emotional injuries were even. Mm. I would be happy to do that if I loved you. If I love and care for you, I, was still not, I wouldn't be angry with you for mm. you telling me that I can't be with her. I wouldn't get upset with you for that. But I would say to you, well, I'm sorry, but what you're asking me to do is out of harmony with my desires. Mm. Out of harmony, therefore, with my love of self. And I'm allowed to love myself, whether you think I am or not. Right? And this is where if we teach children God's laws of love, then in the end they'll automatically be respectful. But I've seen so many parents, for example, think they know more than their children when their children know far more than their parents and their parents are not respectful of how much their children know. Um, yeah, um, I teach little children mm -hmm. and I... Um, 
uh, one of the things is we teach them virtues, as I've mentioned before, mm -hmm. uh, responsibility, cooperation, respect, and amongst a whole heap of other things. Mm -hmm. um, it just seemed to be contradictory to what you were talking about before that was all, but I do understand more what you yeah, were meaning. Be careful when I talk about free will. Mm. A lot of people think free meal means I can do anything I want even if it means har harming you. Mm. That's not what I mean. Okay. That's not free will anymore. Because actually, if I'm doing whatever I want even if it harms you, I'm actually harming my own soul, which is no mm. longer, it's actually constraining my own soul. Mm. So teaching children virtues is great because mm. that's a part of the natural love principles. If they receive divine love in their heart, a child won't need to be taught the natural love principles because they'll feel pain whenever they break the divine love principles and so they don't even need to be taught the natural love principles. Does that make sense? Um, but free will is often misinterpreted nowadays. right? God gave you the free will to do anything you want but there's an if associated with it. You know what the if is? Or you could say there's a but. What's the but? There are consequences. There are consequences. We need to teach our children the same things. The truth is that when they break the laws of love, there are consequences, and we need to teach our children that there are consequences for that. And I'll raise that in the, after the break we have in a minute. Because the truth is that when we deal with things appropriately in God's laws, you'll find that free will fits in perfectly, and it's always loving in the way that God describes it to be. But a lot of times here on the planet, we think free will means do whatever you want to wherever you want to whomever you want and you should be able to get away with it. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't let you get away with it. So why do we let it happen? There is also still a large problem of uh, we feel that we can be the ones to give the consequences instead of them actually coming automatically from God's laws. Yeah. So demanding a child to have virtues and then when they don't display them, then giving them consequences for so that. So in other words, punishing them for not having a virtue doesn't help them have the virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, well what we'll do now is have a break. We'll come back at uh, four. What we'll do is we'll start discussing some of the actual things that happen at a childhood level about emotions and see how we can deal with them. Who was that that came to talk to me about children asking questions? What was your name again, sorry? Natalie. Natalie. Um, Natalie had a really good suggestion which I want to, uh, we want to do short, uh, at some time in the future and hopefully before the end of the year. And that is um, have an opportunity for all the children to come and ask questions of myself and Mary. And uh, We'll probably what we'll do is we'll probably get all the children to sit down the front or whatever and, they can, and when I say children, I don't just mean children, I also mean young adults. Anyone under the age of 18, shall we say, um, can come and ask, uh, sit down the front and, and ask questions of us. What we find when that happens, and I, I've done this a few times in the past actually, is they ask some amazing questions that many of you are not brave enough to ask. <coughs> So it gets to be a very interesting discussion, generally. So I'm looking forward to that. Last time that happened, uh, half the parents uh, went into panic. So, 
Well, they do. They, the child asks the questions and naturally I give them the answers that they ask and the parents go into meltdown about some of the answers. So, <laughs> so we'll see what happens about that. But uh, it should be fun actually um, doing that. And, uh, and, and it, gives a, it gives a lot of... A lot of your children uh, might be watching the videos along with you and so forth and quite often have questions that they're asking. And I know I do get quite a few emails from children at times. Uh, um, who ask me questions and I generally try to answer them back and in fact generally they get preferential treatment over you asking questions. So, uh, uh, so most of the time we find that they not only ask really good questions but they also understand the answers very rapidly because there's not that emotional blockages preventing them from absorbing the answer. So it's really interesting. I've had some really interesting questions asked um, by children in the past. So we'll do that um, probably maybe in a month's time or so even. But I'll, I'll uh, put that on the net. So thanks for that suggestion, Natalie. It's a good suggestion. All right, let's get back to our emotions. The problem with all of our emotions is that the more I can tell you about emotions, the more tempted we are to intellectualise the emotion. And this is a difficulty that we're facing at, at this time, I feel, is that a lot of the times... People are wanting more information about how to access emotion and so forth, but the more information I give, the more we're tempted to go into the mind and intellectualise the process, which actually gets us out of experiencing the emotion. And so um, sometimes I look uh, at the whole situation with regard to emotions and think, is it better to say more about them or say less about them? But in the end, what we're trying to do is get you to settle underneath in the causal emotion and to do that, at the end of the day, we need to recognise what the causal emotion is and how it feels. And that's the issue that most of us face. Most of us often get into emotion, but we're not actually knowing whether this emotion is actually an emotion that's something to do with my childhood. And it is quite easy to know when something is a core emotion. So let's call it a core emotion or a causal emotion, if you like. Remember, it's your core emotions that create your law of attraction. Okay? So, your core emotions create your law of attraction. Because your core emotions are a part of your soul condition. And remember, it's your soul condition, which is the sum total of all of the the passions, desires, longings, emotions, feelings inside of your soul, the sum total of all of that, your beliefs and everything, the sum total of all that creates your soul condition. And it's your soul condition that creates your law of attraction. So if we deal with core or causal emotion, our law of attraction will change. If you have children, you'll notice your law of attraction will change the instant you connect. If you don't have children you'll find, and you have pets, you'll find your law of attraction will change the instant you connect. The truth is, your law of attraction does change the instant you connect. But unfortunately for many of us, if we don't have children or we don't have pets around us close by, we don't notice it until a few days later generally or a week later or when, when new events occur. So myself and Mary were driving down today and we drove all the way down here and it was such a smooth trip, it was unreal. And, uh, and I said, I must have changed a few emotions 
since the last time we drove down. Because the last time we drove down, I got stuck behind every slow person you could possibly think of between King Arroy and here. Right? And so I'd slow down, we wait, and you know what the road up there is like, you know, it's a bit windy and whatever, and there's not many passing lanes or anything, so you get stuck for a while, stuck for a while. Then you pass one, and then you get stuck for a while, stuck. That's what it was like last time, all the way. This time, all the way down, there was nobody in front of us until we came up to this semi, and the semi pulled off just as we, just in the town that we came up to him on, and then we off again, and there was no one in front of us all the way to here. Like, it was really, like, different compared to before. And I could feel some of the emotion that I dealt with that allowed that to happen. And some of this emotion I dealt with was this feeling that I had inside of myself of, oh boy, um, I can never really get things how I want them to be. You know, Nothing's ever going to run smooth. How many of you got that emotion? Like, nothing's ever going to run smooth in my life. It's never going to be exactly how I like it. There's always going to be something wrong. So, um, and I've been dealing with some of that emotion uh, a, a big picture type emotion for me um, over the last few weeks and so it, that's good to notice that law of attraction change. Your law of attraction is your measuring stick if you like. Now remember you can construct your life by, by constructing it with your fear barriers. The law of attraction will expose your fear barriers and I remember Josh, Josh was at our house during the week Filming. He was doing some interviews with us, like what you'd call casual interviews, I suppose, which, which will probably be put on a DVD at some point. And he's asking us all sorts of questions, and I'm all dressed in my ponytail and my, uh, and my bandana, and, and so I look a bit different than what you see me normally, and warts and all sort of thing. And, uh, and he interviewed us quite a lot over the last three or four days. And in one of the discussions we were talking about Josh's life, where Josh went through a period in his life where he was, he used the Zen out method, didn't you, basically? The, the power of now methods, I suppose you'd call them, that he'd been taught to actually detune from his life so much that even though the law of attraction events continued to occur, he felt completely calm and peaceful through the entire thing. So his computer would break down, completely calm and peaceful, all through, the, all through the entire thing. And these events would still occur, but he felt calm and peaceful through the entire thing. Now, is he dealing with the causal emotion? No, because the law of attraction is causing the events to still occur. The truth is the events will not occur when you deal with the emotion. You won't even have to zen out of them because they won't even happen. And that's the big difference between the natural love path and the divine love path. So use the law of attraction to show you what you're tuning out of. Now, many of us still avoid our law of attraction by creating our life to avoid it. Now, what I mean by that is, we know we've got a whole list of fears, so what do we do? We work around all of them. I'm afraid of people, so I don't go anywhere where there's people. I'm afraid to go out dancing, so I don't go out dancing. You know? I'm afraid to drive from here to Sydney by myself, so I don't drive. I always get a part, somebody to drive with me. Do you know what I mean? We do all of these things to avoid the dealing with the emotion. My suggestion is to not do that, but rather allow yourself to start accessing your core or causal emotion. Because it's only by accessing your causal emotion that you're going to get closer and closer and closer to God. Love 
or desire for God's love is an emotion. It can be passionately felt. But it's not going to be passionately felt if you don't feel like you've got passion about anything. You know, if you've detuned yourself from all of your passions, you can't passionately feel it. So this is why emotion is so important. Now, on, if we start with the core emotion at the base. Now, the core emotion... By the way, core emotions can be positive too. You can have positive core emotions, right? As well as ones that are harmful to you in the sense of what they generate. But here we have our core emotion. Now, the core emotion is generally covered over by lots of events. There's two types of core emotions that generally get created inside of us. One type of core emotion is where we become very inflective or self-reflective. In other words, we blame ourselves for everything. Now, who had a life growing up where you finished up blaming yourself for everything that went wrong? Because your parents blamed you, so you blamed you. Yeah. Uh, always consciously. Everything is conscious, no unconscious. Uh, when you say unconsciously, um, that's really just suppressed core emotion. So anytime we use the word unconscious, that's emotion that we could be conscious of, but we're in denial of being conscious of. We don't want to be conscious of. Yet. So be careful of the word unconscious, because what it does is it tends to suggest to us that we're actually not, uh, it's not under our control, but it's all under our control. You need the mic. Yep. I guess what I meant is, um, <clears throat> like I didn't have any any feelings that I was aware of as a child that I was to blame for anything. But yep. since processing, I've felt heaps and heaps of I'm to blame. Yep. So in relation to what you're saying... So what would happen is you had a layer of denial that was quite strong that caused you to not even be aware that yep. this other emotion was underneath you. Yep. And what I'll do here is I'll show the layers yep. and you were up in the top layer and then as you settle down into the next layers and next layers, you start opening up. And so you start addressing it. Oh, I do actually have this emotion. It doesn't... A lot of people are worried because they say, oh, all you're doing is creating emotion. It was one of the questions, in fact, that Josh asked this week. And you can't create emotion... You, you can't create emotions, childhood emotions, that are already in you. They were, because they were childhood already created, if that makes sense. All you can create as an emotion is an emotion that's as an adult right now. So you know when you go into anger as an adult, well, you're creating that emotion, guaranteed, right? But when it comes to a childhood emotion, if you're feeling a childhood emotion, that's an emotion that's stored already within you. You can't create it. All you can do is become aware of it. Do you follow me? There's a big difference between those two states. So you could say the core emotion is always going to be childhood generally in nature. When I say generally... It's a bit different if you're reincarnated, but, but we'll look at it from the first incarnation perspective. Core emotion is always going to be childhood in nature. So, if I'm feeling causal um, sadness, there's a high likelihood that the sadness I'm feeling will feel like I'm two years old, or feel like I'm five years old, or feel like I'm seven years old. If I'm feeling sexual shame, it will feel like I'm a little child, like maybe three years of age, feeling ashamed of its body. Does that make sense? If I'm in a causal childhood type of emotion, a core emotion. 
Then what happens is that our environment, through lots of different aspects, causes us to suppress a lot of this core emotion. Oh, by the way, I said there's two types. One type is, the, is this type where I'm looking intrinsically in self and blaming self. The other type is where I look extrinsically and I blame others. So our, our parents create that by doing this. Many parents now have injuries emotionally inside of their soul where they are, um, they, for example, feel controlled. And when I say feel controlled, they, they don't have very much self-worth. And in fact, many of our children have more self-worth than we have inside of ourselves, right? So what happens then is our as our child grows up, it knows it can manipulate our self-worth or our guilt or our shame or any of the other type of emotions that are still stored within us. It learns to manipulate us into getting what it wants. Now, the problem with that is the child learns how to break laws of love straight away through that interaction. Do you see what happens? Now, now there's, so there's two types of injuries. There's the damage that we do to our children in terms of causing them pain or suffering with regard to sadness or other types of emotions. But then there's this other side of the coin, the other damage that we do to our children, which is allowing them to get away with murder, basically. Right? Because there's this soul, it's not, it's not an intellectual thing in us, there's this soul thing going on inside of us where we allow other people to harm us. And we let ourselves be manipulated by our own children. Now, the children, our children are so sensitive emotionally, they know every single chink in your armour, trust me. They know exactly how to manipulate every single thing inside of you. So there's two sides of this coin. There's two sides and the two sides are the times when I'm breaking the free will of my child and then there's the times where I allow the child to break my free will. Right? Do you see the difference? And that creates two separate types of emotional injuries. One type of emotional injury is where the child blames itself for all of the things that it's doing and the other emotional injury is where the child blames its environment for everything that goes wrong. Now, you imagine we're grown up now. What do we do? Whenever something goes wrong in our life, if you're the type of person that blames yourself all the time, then you, were, you have childhood causal emotion relating to a lot of stuff where you've been hammered as a child or you've had your free will manipulated and controlled as a child and you'll need to feel a lot of grief and sadness about that. But if you're the person who, when you grow up and something goes wrong in your life, you blame everyone else but yourself, then you've got a whole separate set of emotional injuries inside of yourself where the unloving actions you take towards others need to be accessed and released inside of yourself. Do you see the difference between those two states? Mary, you want to just... I just wanted to say that in my experience, because I, I have both sets of injuries depending on the emotional set. Yes. And that was quite important for me to recognise. Yes, yeah, so I want to just point out to you that, and that is that you may have one of these types of injuries in each place for every different emotion. So for example, I might have one set of emotions to do with sexual shame where I was blamed by my parents and so I have that that I'm to blame but I may have another set of emotions about abundance where my parents gave me everything that I ever wanted and now I think the world owes me something. Do you see the difference? 
So one, on one set of emotional injuries, when it comes to my sexual shame, I'll blame myself. But on the other set of emotional injuries, when it comes to getting abundance, I want the world to provide me, so I blame the world. So we can even blame the world in one instance or ourselves in the other instance. It just depends on what happened in that particular emotion in our childhood as to what we do. That's all core emotion. Then we've got what you'd call the, the capping or blocking emotions, right? They are the emotions that were constructed inside of us that to, to help us suppress this core emotion. So, you know, when you were little, you start crying. Mum and Dad, on one hand, might do the, oh, there, there, you're right now, you're right now, and just get you out of your emotion like that. Does that make sense? In other words, nurture you out of feeling the emotion. That's one, that creates one set of capping emotions. See, that, what that does is it says, right, ever I get hugged, it means I don't feel the emotion anymore. You see what I'm saying? So I become addicted to the hug, in other words. I'm feeling bad, so I get addicted to the hug. Once I get the hug, oh, I feel good, I'm right now. And a lot of people who are very needy, you can feel them, they're addicted to the hug, if you like. On the other side, they could, their parents could have yelled and screamed at us. Shut up, you! you know, and off they go, yelling and screaming at you. What does that do inside of yourself? that creates a whole separate set of emotions. Oh, some sadness comes up, I'm going to get punished. Sadness comes up, punishment emotion is going to result. And that creates a whole layer of capping emotion at the childhood level. Then, what's next? Well, what's next is the, the causal and the capping emotions, or the causal and the blocking emotions, or the core emotions and the blocking emotions, are all going to get suppressed in some way through a whole separate set of denial. Let's call it denial. In other words, what I'm going to do is become resistive. Let's call this emotion underneath there the castle of hurt, the castle of pain, some of which is directed inwards towards ourself. In other words, a whole group of emotions where I blame myself and then some of it which is directed outwards towards everyone else. Or, in other words, a whole set of emotions that I blame other people for. Right? But they are the group of emotions. And then what I do is I deny they even exist. I deny not so much even their existence, but more their experience. I deny the experience. I don't allow the experience of it. So the denial of experience. Now, the way God made us was to feel emotion. So God made us to naturally feel this emotion. You look at a child and a child does naturally feel emotion. If it gets hurt, it cries. Somebody hurts it, hurts its feelings, it generally cries until it starts getting some capping emotions placed on top. And then it starts getting shut down. And so what it learns is to deny the experience of both sets of emotions. Now that's a pretty hard state to maintain. So what we then do is we create all sorts of things above that that all get placed on top of that, which is, which is a part of this castle that we build. And by the way, the more we go out here from this area, the more we're away from ourselves. In other words, we're denying ourselves more and more as we step up through, as these emotions get created. 
So then I start creating, all right, I've got to deny my experience. How do I deny my experience? I've got to choose mechanisms that work for me. Now, usually the mechanisms we choose are very much the mechanisms we're taught from our parents. So if you have a good look at your parents, what do they use to deny their emotion? You'll find that many of their denial tools are tools that are within you. Right? And this is a natural consequence because we're learning how to deny as we're growing up, you see? So it's a natural consequence that many of their denial tools become ours. So we construct a heap of tools of denial, right? Now, for some people, it's just a simple matter of like... And, and, and by the way, for every single emotion, it's a different tool. So let's say I'm growing up as a, as a young lady, right? I get abused as a child by my stepfather and I'm growing up now, I'm in my teens, and I start developing sexually, I start feeling my body and everything and I start feeling really uncomfortable about my body being, being a sexual shape, you know, that starts attracting sexual energy from men and, I, and that connects me to this emotion, this core emotion and capping emotion that I don't want to feel. So what I do then is I work out I need to somehow get away from my body being like this. So what can I do? Eat. Right? So I start eating, 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 and I get bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, now, and, and the eating, by the way, is just an emotional response to the desire to get large. And so I'm, I'm there just getting larger and larger and larger because I don't want to be sexually attractive. You follow me? Now that's a tool of denial that I'm using. You follow me? That's the tool I'm using to get away from these emotions that need to be healed inside of me. And we can construct all sorts of tools in denial. We can even construct false emotions in that state. Emotions that are not even real, just in order to, to help us avoid these emotions. Right? So we can say, oh, I feel so unworthy, when in reality what we're really saying to ourselves is I don't want to act because if I'm responsible for my actions I'll feel bad. You know, we can, we, can we can create all sorts of emotions. So you could even say we could create a heap of emotions of self-deception. And we've talked about those, right? Of self-deception. So, now, what are the only emotions that are going to change our life? It's only these, isn't it? these childhood emotions. They're the only ones that if I experience, my life will change. All of this stuff, no matter how much I experience it, no matter how much I work through it, no matter how much I cry, no matter how much I feel ashamed, no matter how much I feel guilty, nothing will change. And this is the problem today with a lot of progression is people start getting into their emotions and they say, AJ, look, nothing's changing. Nothing's changing because we're not in the right emotion. We're in an emotion that we may be creating to avoid the emotion that we need to be in. Right? Now, this is all very intellectual, right? Isn't it? This doesn't help me a damn, really, does it? Really. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I need to feel this and feel this. That's really where it gets down to. Now, what I've done earlier is give you a heap of tools that will help you identify these things. And it will help you identify when you're avoiding those things. But in the end, it's not going to help you experience those things. Because there's one primary belief 
that sits inside of most of us about emotion. Do you know what that is? It's a fear, yep. I'm going to go crazy if I start this emotional process. Now, it's a false expectation appearing real to you if you believe that. In other words, it's not God's truth. God created you to experience your emotion. You are totally able to deal with every single emotion within you. Anything that comes along. You can deal with the emotion of even getting murdered. You can deal with the emotion of being raped. You can deal with the emotion of being abused as a child sexually or physically or violently. You can deal with every single emotion. God created you to, deal, to be able to experience them. And there's one other thing that we need to remember. But we often feel this way instead. The belief we have often is, I am alone in this process. This is one of the worst possible things you could believe. And by the way, I'm talking to the spirits here who believe they're alone as well. It is one of the worst possible things you can believe, and it is totally untrue. Totally untrue. If you could know how many people are with you when you're experiencing an emotion, from a spirit perspective for a start, you'd be blown away. A lot of times there's 10, 20, 30, 40 people with you, with you who love you experiencing or helping you through this emotion when you're on the divine love path. And of course that doesn't even um, take into account that God is with you through the entire process. And that gets down to another core belief that really in the end there is no God. Most of us at some point feel that way when we're doing this emotional work because that is a core emotional belief we'll have to face at one point. Is there a God or not? And many of us are totally afraid of going into our emotion because firstly we believe there's no God to help me, I am totally alone and if I do this process I'm going to go nuts. And the truth is there are many times when you'll feel nuts on the process and then I'm progressing this way but you won't go nuts. You know the only way you go nuts? By not feeling your emotions. The world's asylums are full of people who are nuts because they tried to get away from their emotions. The spirit world in the lower spheres are full of people who have spent all of their life on earth and much of their life in the spirit world trying to avoid their emotions. It's the only time you're going to get harmed is by avoiding them, not by experiencing them. However, I want to say there's one proviso on that. It has to be the causal or the capping childhood emotions that you're experiencing. Because you can construct with your mind all sorts of other things which are crazy in many cases. And you can connect to spirits who are crazy, by the way, really easily by dealing, by not dealing 
with the underlying causal or capping emotions. Can you see that it's the fears, and we'll talk more about the fears next week, but it's the fears that actually cause you to stop your processing, that cause you to not be able to get to the underlying emotion. And it's the only by getting to the underlying emotion that I'm going to be able to grow. So, what I need to do is start addressing these fears. How do I address the fear of I will go crazy? There's only two ways I can address that fear. Remember, all fears are false expectations appearing real. Huh? So, how do I address this emotion? This is an emotion in me. I will go crazy. It's a belief system within me. It's not something I'm going to be able to change with my mind. Because nothing changes in the soul with your mind. Very few things, but when I say nothing, it's not probably true because you can change in awareness, but the emotion has to come out of you for the real change to occur. So how do I deal with that emotion? I am going to have to feel crazy to actually release that emotion. Can you see that? I'm going to have to feel like I am nuts. How do I have release this emotion? I'm going to have to feel like I am alone. But, what did I say when I started this little discussion? You are totally capable, you have been built to experience every single emotion. God made you that way. So in rea reality you have nothing to fear and in the end in your development, when you become at one with God, you'll realise actually, yeah, there is nothing to fear. You will not have a single fear within you at that point. But before then, you'll have many fears to deal with. So what we're going to do over the coming weeks, over the coming week or so, is we'll start giving you some practical ways in which you can start really facing your fears. And your fears are masked by so many different things. They are controlled by so many different things within you. But primarily one thing, and that is the desire to avoid emotion is created by your fear of what will happen when you hit the emotion. So the reason why we desire to avoid so much is because we're so afraid of what will happen when we connect to it. Hi. Um, I felt an emotion early this week and I cut it off. Yep. And then I haven't been able to get back to it and I don't know whether it's the fear of getting back because today I felt an emotion that I didn't experience when I was a little girl of a, a tragic event and it came up just like that and I've been trying to get back there but I can't. So how do I get back? Okay, how many of you are having times when you start connecting to the emotion within five minutes you're out? Start connecting another emotion, five minutes you're out again. Five minutes you're out again. Okay. There is fears there. There are fears there. You need to look at the fears. So when you start experiencing the emotion, so let's say you start, you start the emotion, you're starting to have the tears rolling down. Now right at this point, you can, if you're longing for God to help you through the process, you can actually keep spirits away from you by just longing to God just to nurse you through this process. You can stay in this emotion for as long as you want. There are a number of external influences and internal influences that cause you to get out. So if you start, do it for a few minutes and then it all finishes, we need to look at these particular possible causes. All right? 
First possible cause. I don't want to. Now, I don't want to feel this emotion. So I'm starting to feel the emotion. I don't want to. Why would I not want to? I, I've, I've come along to these seminars now for a while. I do believe in emotional work. I do understand the, you know, the relationship between soul condition and motion and law of attraction. I want to change my law of attraction. I feel really positive about that. And yet, why am I kicking myself back out of the emotion? Well, all I don't want to is begin with a fear. So at the moment that you stop crying, ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Also, when you go into I don't want to, there may be, over the top of your fear, some anger. So let's say you start to feel your emotion and you start crying. You might find as a part of the emotional experience this childhood anger starts raising in you, the childhood avoidance, if you like. Does that make sense? And now what you're doing is you're trying to cry when in reality you should be yelling and screaming and swearing and hitting something. Does that make sense? And you need to allow yourself to do this in a fluid way. So, so this is where you need this space I was talking about at the beginning. You see, I don't want to, either is born out of fear, but it may come also be covered over by anger. So, so I need to experience this anger of not wanting to feel this emotion. I need to feel it. Feel angry with God, or if that's what it's about, or angry with your parents that, you, that they created this emotion in you, or angry at your abuser, or angry at whatever. But feel the anger, don't project it. There's a big difference between the two. Projecting it is going around to the person and yelling and screaming at them. Feeling it is actually sitting in your room and feeling the rage and anger that you have and owning it and feeling it as a part of the childhood experience. Now, th that is one of the reasons why we start and then stop. Because we don't want to. And I don't want to, in the end, is always a fear. But it may be covered by anger. The second thing is I am afraid to. In, the way, in a way, it's really the same as I don't want to. It's just with another uh, one less layer on it. You see, the I don't want to is a very angry place. Do you, do you, can you see? Like, like, if you come up to me and say, AJ, can you give me a glass of water? I say, I don't want to. Right? But why would I not want to? Like, if I had a glass of water with me and... Why would I not want to give you one? Right. Usually there'd have to be some anger behind that, wouldn't there, of some kind. So whenever you go into, I don't want to, in terms of your emotions, usually there's anger. So to deal with the anger, feel the anger of, I don't want to. And then you'll step into number two, which is, I'm afraid to. And afraid to could have all sorts of attachments. Why would I be afraid of crying for more than two minutes, do you think? What might be a causal emotional childhood reason? Afraid of judgment. So whenever, you know, whenever I started crying, if I cried for longer than two minutes, Dad come along and said to me, oh, you're a wuss, aren't you? Like, boys don't cry like you cry. Gee, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm ashamed to call you my son. 
You know what I mean? A few comments like that, what do you do with that when you're a child? You just go straight into, I can't cry. Cry for a few minutes, that's, a, that's all I can do. Another one might be, you know, most parents let their children cry for a few minutes, but five minutes, ten minutes? Most, by the time ten minutes comes up, what are most parents feeling now? They're starting to connect with their own sadness, which they can't deal with and they don't want to accept, and so what do they do instead? I'll give you something to cry about. You know, they just get angry with the child and just project all this anger and rage on the child, right? So if we're crying for, for a few minutes and then getting to the point where we're not going further, it could be that we have some childhood causal emotion of, about fear of pain. So afraid of pain, physical pain by going ahead and crying. Physical pain of getting punished. Can you see that? Your parents learn how to control you through many different means. Smacking was only one of them. In fact, in some ways, smacking is sometimes the least damaging in terms of some of them. Because some of the others are so hard to get rid of because they're so hard to recognise as unloving behaviour. Anybody can recognise that when you get a belt by somebody that is violent and unloving, but how do you go about dealing with something like guilt? Half the time you don't know whether it's your guilt, their guilt, whose guilt, what's... You know what I mean? It's so confusing, right? But your parents could have used guilt. So you could be afraid because of getting more into your emotion because of all the guilt that might come or the shame that might come. Imagine shame. Like shame is a method many parents use to control their children from experiencing emotion. Just shame them into it. You know, like all you have to do there is like your child's out with some of their friends and the parents and everything and you tell a funny story about the child, right, about them crying or whatever else that makes them just feel mortally shamed. They're not going to do it again, are they? There's going to be a huge amount of rage the child has towards you and they're not going to do that same thing again to risk that. And so we could be afraid to feel the emotion because of the, of the capping emotion of shame. So whenever we stop the processing of a core emotion, it's because generally there is a childhood capping emotion there or there is a tool of denial there. And we've got to sort out which one's which. Right. Uh, you've already alluded to it, but I just wanted to point out from my own experience that the capping emotions, the fears and the childhood anger are really... I, I used to beat myself up a lot because I feel like I have to do the causal, but now I'm stuck in this other place until I realise that they are emotions that I do need to process as well. Yep. Yeah. Remember, everything jump. needs to be processed emotionally. So even if I have an emotional denial, I need to process that emotionally. Why do, I ha why do I want to choose one emotion over the other? There's an emotional reason why. So everything needs to be processed emotionally. But, but oftentimes, as Mary points out, the capping emotions we're avoiding. See, a lot of times what I notice with people when I'm talking to them is they're trying to get to the causal emotion when the capping emotion is doing this to them, right? Hitting them right in the face. Have you noticed that? Like... Um, Perhaps we can give some examples during the week. During the week we had uh, someone come and stay with us and, and I banned her from using, from using uh, uh, candles down in my eco-tent. Where's AJ with free will now? Hey? It's like... 
Well, she had free will. She could stay in my tent or not. Right? And, uh, and ironically for, this, for, for my friend who stayed, she, of all the things that she loves, candles would have to be one of the things on the highest on her list. And I banned her from using them down in a tent. Like, mind you, they, they look more like a palace, I reckon, but it's a tent, right? Now, she came up the next morning in a rage with me. You know, you harming my free will, what's going on here, you know, and, and really quite upset and angry. She said, and well, she actually said she processed the anger, but when she was telling me the story, there was still quite a lot of anger coming at me, right? And, uh, and so I said, that's not the problem. And she said, no, it is a problem, you know, you're a hypocrite. And she was getting into me about how much of a hypocrite I am because I was harming her free will. I said, I'm not harming her free will. You can be here or not be here. So you can, you can go and find another tent and put a candle in that. I created this tent, and so I'm allowed to ask you to not put a candle in my tent. Right? And she couldn't get that at all. And I said, that's not the problem anyway. What the problem is, is that you're not grateful. I'm giving you access to this tent for free and all of my time for free and you're now projecting anger at me for controlling you having a candle. Does that sound like a causal emotion to you? Right. When we started getting into the causal emotion, and so the, you know, she was feeling emotional at this point, but not crying very much, but feeling emotional. She was so angry with me and upset with me and everything and saying all these things at me, all the things that I'd done that were wrong and, and I'm a hypocrite and so forth. But underneath that was this emotion that she expected to get what she wanted. And when she didn't get what she wanted, she felt unloved. Do you see that? See, oftentimes when something's taken away from us when we're a child, we start equating love with getting things. Or when things are given to us when we're a child, we start equating love with getting things. So when I'm given something, oh, somebody loves me. This is where people will go with gifts a lot of times. You know Christmas time and Easter time? You try not giving someone a gift at Christmas. You see what happens then. Right? And what will often happen is this emotion will be triggered in them. That person doesn't love me anymore. They're equating love with being given something. Can you see that? This is exactly what's going on. Now, when I said just those words... She just went off and cried and for the next four hours cried. Just connecting to that emotion of feeling that love meant getting something. And if you didn't get it, then it meant that you weren't loved. And underneath that, of course, was I'm not loved unless you give me something. Which is a, a big causal emotion for many people, by the way. Um, now, now, before then, we were in this you harmed my free will thing. Now, whenever you do this, and this is a good secret to remember, whenever you're blaming someone else, no matter how much, you are not in your causal emotion. Alright? Whenever you're blaming someone else, whenever you're angry with someone else, whenever you're frustrated with someone else, whenever you feel upset with someone else, whenever you feel hurt by someone else, you are not in your causal emotion. Because do you think the child is worried about who heard it. Not When you're feeling that emotion, you'll find that you'll get into this state of childlikeness when you feel an emotion. When you're in that state, now you know you're dealing with something that, that is causal. 
Does that make sense to everyone? So, if I stop crying, first thing is, I don't want to, which is an anger-based projection about dealing with the emotion. I don't want to have to deal with this emotion. I'm sick of having to deal with emotion. You know, F-A-J, telling me about emotions, like, and all that kind of stuff, right? We get really upset about dealing with emotion, right? So, that's the I don't want to place. We even get angry with God in that place. Why did you make us deal with these emotions? You know, we really get frustrated. If you let yourself connect with it, you'll connect with some really big emotions. In that state, a lot of anger is covering over a lot of fear, but you need to experience it. So experience it, but understand that it's covering fear. So that will help you step down into what are you afraid of. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to cope with this emotion. I'm afraid that if I start feeling this emotion, it will never end. It will never end and I'll be, I'll be like this, I'll be a mess. I'm afraid that somebody's going to look at me doing with this motion and they're going to take one look at me and say, they're crazy, we just chuck them in an asylum because that's where they belong. That's what I'm afraid of. Do you know what I mean? We go through many of these emotions because we're just so afraid of what will happen when we connect emotionally. And to be frank with you, if, 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 if the majority of you saw me processing some of the emotions I've had to process, you would have put me in an asylum. Right? I wasn't harming myself or someone else, but you would have thought that it went on for too long. Trust me. There's some of my emotions that I've had to deal with that have taken like months and months and months of crying, five hours a day. That looks like depression to you, doesn't it? Yeah, it didn't feel like depression to me, but that's what you would think, and so you'd do something about that. So you see, a lot of times we're so afraid of what, how the world is going to view us doing all of these things. Mind you, um, for most of you, you will not have to process for months and months and months to deal with an emotion. Right? You've got to remember there's 2,000 years stuffed in here somewhere that have to be dealt with. Right? That's a bit different than dealing with 80, 80 years or, or less. So allow yourself to connect with the emotion. Allow yourself to experience the emotion. Allow yourself to, to say, it's okay to be a mess when I'm feeling this. You see, we become afraid to because we have all of the judgments that our parents imposed upon us in the end and our environment impose upon us. Now, a good way to identify the fears is to see what's projected at you by others. So in other words, you start getting into the emotion and your partner says, oh, you're crying too much. What's that? That's a law of attraction event telling you what your fear is. Can you see that? If your partner's saying you're crying too much, it's because you believe maybe I'm crying too much. Does that make sense? And there's a law of attraction in that. Look at your law of attraction. If your parents ring you up and say, I'm really, really concerned about you. Why is that? Oh, because, you know, I heard that you're crying quite a lot now. Yeah. Well, that, there's a problem with that. Don't you think there's a problem with that? What are they doing? They're just reinforcing one of the beliefs they taught you at a young age that you now have inside of you. That's your law of attraction. Is that, can you see that? There's your block. Just telling you. So you see, a lot of times our law of attraction tells us exactly the block that we're, we're, that we're experiencing, that we're trying to get away from. Mary had one yesterday, didn't you, darling, with, with last night. You couldn't get into emotion, couldn't get into emotion. And then she just had to cry about the fact that it was too, there was too much emotion to deal with. Once she cried with that, this morning, there's been three cries in this morning dealing with causal emotion. 
and yet being blocked for a few days because just not allowing yourself to feel like it's all overwhelming. Allow yourself to feel overwhelmed. I have cried lots of times about feeling overwhelmed about how much emotion I've had to process. Does that make sense? Allow the emotion to flow. But what will happen is your law of attraction will bring to you the blocking emotion if you're not in the actual causal emotion. So even your law of attraction will tell you what kind of blocking emotion there is that you're not allowing yourself to experience. And that's a fantastic thing if you're aware of it. So, often you'll find, somebody will phone you, and you pick up the phone, they say, oh, you know, I just realised today such and such and such and such about shame and about sexual shame. Oh, yeah, okay. What do you do with that? Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, and have a chat about his emotion or her emotion. I don't, I don't do that. What I do is I think, yeah, this is a law of attraction event for me. Hmm. What about this particular issue aren't I dealing with? You see? There's my blocking stuff all just in this conversation somewhere. Can you see how it, like, even your law of attraction like that works really, really easily? So, ask yourself if you're in the anger state, if you start, start processing, if you're in the anger state, process the anger state. Don't don't worry about trying to get to the causal emotion again. Process the reason why you stopped. Let yourself feel the reason why you stopped. And if the reason why you stopped was fear, let yourself work through your fear. Um, you want to... Shock is terror. Okay. It was shock? Yeah, it was shock. I just I shocked myself out of feeling anything. You want to shock yourself out of no, feeling... No, no, I was shocked. Like, this situation was I was in work yep. and I had actually asked God for law of attraction for um superior thing. Yeah, for a and superior to treat like to treat me like crap. Yeah. Um basically. And my boss approached me and did the I, I work with men. Yeah. And he did the sex talk sexual thing. projection at you. And then he told me to kiss his hand and I just went red and then nothing and I just I wanted to feel the feeling but I wasn't angry I wasn't anything I was just like now going red yeah <laughs> I just felt going red and I wanted to go home and feel that emotion and what did you want to do right in that moment you wanted to do what with him just, to him no I, I just wanted to shut down and close my eyes okay okay so you wanted to avoid yeah okay why I don't know how to act in situations like that no you do actually Okay. You're just scared to. I'm too scared to. I yeah, guess yeah. I am afraid. Yeah, you're scared to. You see, what was happening in this situation, by the way, many of you women need to have a listen to this one because this is something that's very common with sexual projections at you. When people sexually project at you, you will have one of two separate reactions. Usually one reaction will be either anger or rage or the other action will be a withdrawal like you're doing. Now, if I loved myself, what would I do in this situation? I would, if it, if it was me getting sexually projected at by a woman boss, I would say, I don't care whether you're my boss or not. The truth is that you were just sexually inappropriate with me. And the truth is that I don't deserve this. And in other words, I would stand up to this situation and state the truth. Your sexual projection is out of line. And to be frank with you, if you do it again, and I'm going to write down this incident in a diary and I'm going to find out if you do it again, I am going to do something about it. Do you follow me? Why didn't you do that? I froze. You were? 
not in love with me. <laughs> you were afraid. What were you afraid of? Um, want some help? Yes, please. What do men do when they don't get what they want? What's your belief? Oh, they get angry. Ah, so you are afraid of a man's anger. And particularly a man who's My, yeah. superior, in quotation marks, because there's no one who's ever superior to you. But you're afraid of a man's anger because you're afraid of the power that he might have over you. And so what do you do? You go into management mode. Management mode is one of two things. You either give the man a little bit of what he wants so that he doesn't do it worse. Do you follow me? So some of you will go into a flick, flick into giving him a bit of a sexual projection in return so that he doesn't get worse with you. So that, he, so that you're now, the, the control comes, if you like, back to you. That's one option. Or the other option is to withdraw, to go in within yourself rather than actually standing up for yourself. And the law of attraction event is saying to you, you need to have more love of yourself when it comes to your relationship with men. Now, if you had told him that the sexual projection was out of line, you would have then confronted this fear that you had. But instead what happened in this particular instance is you withdrew, which didn't confront the fear, it just reinforced the fear as valid. Can you see that? And that's why you stopped crying. Whenever we do something that's out of harmony with love of self, we will often then react towards ourselves in a negative way. In other words, punishing ourselves and so forth. The key is to not punish yourself. The key is to see that actually what was being triggered was your fear of a man's possible anger about not getting what he wants. And the key for you is to go into that emotionally. Does that make sense? And now you're starting to connect to some of that, right? So you let yourself connect to some of that. So in almost every situation that we can come up with, there's usually reasons why we do different things, right? And a lot of the reasons are to do with either fear or anger or a fear of other people's fear or a fear of other people's anger. Right? And a lot of times that's what shuts us down. I've had terrible emotions to deal with about people's anger. At one stage when I was doing these talks, giving these talks for free, there would be some, there'd be some women in the audience who would go home and talk to their husbands, right? You notice most of the audience are fairly mixed, like a good mixture of men and women in most audiences. But early days there was a few more women than men in these audiences. And they would go home and tell their husbands what they were getting taught. And their husbands would ring me up, threatening to kill me if I spoke to them again. To their wives. My law of attraction, right? So I would feel all of this terrible feelings of fear about a man's potential violence towards me. And I went through lots and lots of emotions about that, working my way through those things emotionally. And my suggestion is allow yourself to deal with those emotions. Now one way you can address a fear is to actually do the opposite of what the fear dictates. So the fear dictated to you to leave the situation, right? If you do the opposite of what the fear dictated, you would have stayed in the situation and said to him, what you've done is very inappropriate. What you've done is actually out of harmony with the work policy for a start. 
but also it's out of harmony with the fact that I don't want your sexual projections. And when you sexually project at me like this, you are actually out of line when you're working with me. You are harming me. And I don't want you to do that anymore. And if you do it again, I'm going to do something about it. That's what you didn't want to do. Does that make sense? And, and this is what we often do with our family, our parents, our, you know, siblings, all sorts of people with whom we have emotional issues. We avoid doing something because of what the... And that's the emotion that's getting triggered. The emotion that's getting triggered is the fear that you have within you because we need to release these fears, get them out of you. Because when you get them out of you for a start, you won't attract a man who's an angry man who's a sexual sleaze who come up with you. You won't attract that kind of man anymore because he will feel from you, oh, this person's not able to be manipulated sexually by me be being angry with her. She's just going to be more resistive. And so he won't feel the need to even project at you in most cases. And if he does, and you, say to, and you address the issue, do you think he's going to do it again? Highly unlikely. Right. On that, AJ, most of my life with that situation, I've, um, I've um, stayed there, but I've made a joke out of it. Now, is that, is that um, so? I've continued in the conversation and the dialogue, but I've always turned it into a joke. You manage the man. Yep. Right. It's, a, it's a pattern you've learnt from childhood, how to manage the man. So, so many of us do this with anger. See, see, anger is one of the most damaging emotions you could ever project in another person. It's the most, one of the most controlling emotions that you have within you. The reason why we use anger towards other people is so that we can control them and manipulate them. Now, what we learn in return often is how to manage other people's anger. And the way we manage it is by a large variety of, women, of, of things. If we're a man, it's different to if we're a woman. If you're a man, oftentimes you manage another person's anger, another man's anger, by you know, doing the he-man thing. You know? And if you're bigger than him, you can get away with that, but if you're smaller than him, you probably won't. Right? If you're a woman, man how do you manage a man's anger? You're not going to he-man him. You're not going to be able to impose yourself upon him and make him scared of you very much. So what you do is you learn a lot of other techniques. One of the techniques is to give him a sexual projection. You give him a sexual projection, he, he gets something in return, and in this high likelihood he'll be feel you can manipulate him a little through that interaction. Or joke with him. You know, turn the situation into a light-hearted situation that diffuses anger in many cases and causes their mind to go somewhere else instead of what's made them angry. So that's another method we often use. We often also use many people use sadness. Like they go into a cowering type sadness thing, hoping that that will actually trigger the person into feeling compassion or mercy. We use all sorts of things when another person is angry. The key is to look at the mechanisms we use and to, and to feel the underlying fears involved in each mechanism. So, so for a, for a, for a, and it's different in between the genders too. So, so if, if I'm a man and I'm used to angry women, when I, my mother was angry with me all my life, then I'll manage women a different way. And what I'll do is I'll always placate the woman in most cases. Or I'll be more angry than they are. So I'll do one of those two things. Often, like in my case, I would placate the woman. I would make her feel comfortable so she didn't have those angry emotions and then I'd feel I can relax, you know? And so oftentimes what we're doing with all sorts of our interactions, 
is managing the other person's unloving emotion. When you become at one with God, you no longer manage anyone's unloving emotions. You always have the goal of confronting an unloving emotion, of actually exposing it. So to get between that place and the place where we are now means dealing with a lot of our fears. And to be frank, fear is the largest possible, the, the, large, the single most largest problem we face on the planet, let alone individually. It's the fear that causes the battle of your own soul. If you didn't fear anything, you'd be experiencing your emotions just like a child would, who had nothing to fear. Right? So in reality, all of your blockages to emotion are fear-based. They are all false things, false expectations appearing real. They appear real to us because they happen to us. They happen to us when we were little, so we believe they're going to keep happening. You know? So when Daddy came along and he was angry, what did we have to do with Daddy? We had to joke with him, we had to play... You know, what, what about when the schoolyard bully came along and was angry with us? What did we have to do with him? We had to do this, we had to do that. And we learn these techniques that we then carry through the rest of our life. As you release your emotions, you'll find you'll come up with all the fears that are blocking your emotion. And it's really great to be able to access them. So in your case, the issue is managing the other person's anger through humour. Yep. Many men have this, by the way, and they use it quite well. And this is why many women love a man with a good sense of humour. Right. What do you find attractive? What do you find attractive in a man? Oh, it doesn't matter how he looks, it doesn't matter how he does this, it doesn't matter how, what character he has, it doesn't matter how much honesty he has, or how much faith he has, or how much love he has. Any of those things, it doesn't matter. What matters is he's got a good sense of humour. Right. So what's going on there? There's some avoidance and some pretty big emotion in there. And you see a lot of our, this is a trouble with a lot of our attractions. There's a lot of our attractions we think of, oh, they're harmless, they're harmless. But actually, they're addictions. And that brings me to that. Oh, so there. And that's the last thing I'd like to discuss today. One of the best ways to avoid your causal emotion is to get another person to fix it for you. I'll say that again. One of the best ways to avoid experiencing your own causal emotion is to get somebody else to fix it for you. So let's look at this. I feel unloved. There's a high likelihood my addiction will be to have everyone around me has to love me. Do they have to love you? No. No one around you has to love you. No one around you has to love you at all. Love is a gift. Can a gift be expected? No. So if love is a gift and a gift can't be expected, does everyone around you have to love you? No. But what happens if I feel unloved inside of myself and I can't love myself, in other words, 
I have so much self-loathing that I can't love myself, I will then become addicted to somebody else loving me. Huh? Can you see that? So my addiction becomes them loving me. Alright, now let's say a part of that addiction is when I was young, the only time Daddy ever loved me, and I'm a lady, the only time Daddy ever loved me was when he gave me a gift. Now what's going to happen in this connection? Not only do I feel unloved when I don't get a gift, but now if a man gives me gifts all the time, I'm going to think he loves me. When in reality all he could be doing is just wanting to get into my panties. But I'm going to think he loves me. Right? Does that make sense? Because I have that emotion. So I'm feeling unloved and then on top of that have the emotion that gifts mean love and then, wow, all of a sudden I have a group of addictions. So what do I find? I find a man, in this case that I gave, a man who gives me gifts And that's love to me. And you know what happens after two years of getting gifts? The man forgets sometimes. You know, like he's out working or whatever else and he wants to you know, get a bit of extra cash together and he thinks, you know, and then he makes a mistake maybe of going off with his mates to the pub or something and he doesn't get the gift, you know. So he comes home and, and there's no gift. What am I feeling now? I'm feeling unloved. Is this man any good anymore? No, he's no good anymore. He, 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 give, him to, give him to somebody else. He doesn't know how to love me, right? Can you see that? So, so we can see that what happens with almost every emotion within us is we set up these addictions with other people. They, and these addictions, remember last time we talked about addictions, they're like these big tentacles. You could think of it like octopus tentacles with all these suckers on the end of them, right? Coming out of you, you know, like waiting to actually wrap somebody up in the other end of the extreme, the other end of the addiction. And, and, and eventually it connects, right? You know, and it's got you. And that's the addiction. And then the, usually the other person has the opposite addiction, of course. Does that make sense? And that's how the interaction occurs. If the other person doesn't have the opposite addiction, you get angry with them. Because, see, addictions must be satisfied. You know, we see this a lot with addictions like that are physical in nature. So, you know, like, you know, you take away a man who's addicted to alcohol and you take away his drink, what happens? He gets upset. He gets angry. He needs the drink. Right? You, you, you have a man addicted to heroin. And you take away his heroin, what is he, without any methadone or whatever other process there is, what happens? He gets upset. He, gets, he wants that stuff, you know, because that's the addiction. You've got to have it. And you get angry when you don't get your addictions met. You get a man who wants sex all the time and you take away his sex, what happens? Well, you'll find in a, in a few days, man, he's an angry man now, right? Which is his real nature, by the way. So, so what often is happening with our addictions is... When, the key thing to remember with your addictions, if you're getting angry, it's because you're not getting an addiction met in most cases. The only case where that's not true is where you have a fear. But even then, most of the time you're getting angry about it is still related to you not getting an addiction met. So, so 
addictions are a very, very good way of actually helping you access a causal emotion. A very powerful, very powerful way. So let me look, let's look at some addictions. Can you think of some addictions that a person may have? Touch. I'm addicted to touch. This is a very good one. Right? What will I do if I'm addicted to touch? And perhaps if we use the mics, because none of us get this. So, what will I do if I get it? If I'm addicted to touch? Anyone? Down the front. And sorry. Sorry. Um, we'll have an expectation from. I'll, so I'll now have an expectation from those close to us, partners, etc. Especially. That I'm always getting touched. That so I need children, to be touched. Yep. Children as yep, well. Everything. So expectation of children. And partner, and so forth. So, what will happen as soon as they don't touch me? What am I going to feel? Unloved. I'm not loved anymore. Just by them not touching me, I feel unloved. Right? Now, that's a really insidious one because that can have a lot of sexual connotations to it, can't it? See, a lot of times women in particular swap sexual contact with touch. So I'm addicted to touch. The man, to be, when he gets touched, he gets all horny. So, so what I then do is I make a compromise. Does that make sense? The compromise being that I allow the man, I, I get involved sexually with the man in order to have that lovely, nice, nurtured, touched feeling. So I'm addicted to the touch feeling and I'll do anything for it. All addictions will do anything for just like the man with it, give me the drugs, give me the drugs, give me the drugs. You know, it's, it's like that. Give me the touch, give me the touch, give me the touch. It's like, and, and, and when it's happening, I'm happy. As soon as it doesn't happen, I'm very unhappy. Right? And this is something to look at with addictions because they are very powerful ways to avoid emotion, to avoid causal emotion. I'm just trying to think of some of my addictions. Sorry? Maple syrup? It's not really an addiction. I don't have it much anymore. Um, I, I I've lost most yeah. of my addictions and now I can't remember the ones I had. Um, I've got plenty. I used to love ice cream. I've still got lots. <laughs> You've still got lots. You want to mention one? Um, that the man should um, agree with me, praise me in order for me to feel loved. Like if, if a man does... If a man points out a fault in me, he doesn't love me. Okay, if he points out faults, yeah. And so if he praises you, he loves you. If he points out a fault, he hates you now. And you're not feeling loved anymore. Yeah. When really, the, it's the, almost the reverse, is the love, like it, it's so far in error. Yeah, like when he points out a fault, it's just like devastating. But if I was in harmony with love, it would actually be a loving thing for my partner to point out where I was in error. Exactly. Yeah. So you can see how you can be way, way down the road of error if you do different things. Yeah? Yeah, it depends on how he does it. Depends on how he points out the faults. If he yells and screams at you, it's not very loving, obviously. But, but if you're addicted to not even having the fault pointed out to you and only the praise... And that will come from, usually that comes from, let's say I'm a woman, that will often come from our, my father only ever praising me. He just thinks the sun shines out of my bottom. And, and, 
and he just, you know, just worships my, the ground I walk on all my life, then of course I'm going to be addicted to praise me, you know, that's love. It's not love though, is it? But, but I'll feel that's love. It can be a loving act, but to equate one with love and one with not love, that's where the that's error is. That's the error, that's right. Yep. Any others? Uh, James, um, if we might. A lot of people just crave attention of any sort. Attention, yeah, that's a very good one, eh? Attention. You see, most of the time, the reason why we have terrible cravings for attention is because most of the time in our childhood we went completely unnoticed. Right? Lots, of, lots of us went completely unnoticed. And that was particularly the case for the older the generation, the more unnoticed we, we were probably. You know, there was this whole, remember, there was this whole thing of be seen and not heard. Right? You're a child, be seen and not heard. Right? So, of course you're going to crave attention. Like if somebody doesn't hear you, hear me is another addiction. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. And so what happens, like in that one, I'm starting to talk to everybody, you know. This is a time when I tell my long-winded story and half the people are not even listening because the law of attraction is already at work, right? In that the more I say, the more I open my mouth, the more they're not hearing me. They're off in some other land, right? But the hear me, they weren't very nice. They never heard me. I don't like them. I don't get along with, you know what I mean? And that's what happens. And these are all covering childhood emotions we need to feel. So our addictions are really, really good tools to help us access underlying emotions. Any other ones that you can think of, Joy? Perhaps uh, Mike over there. I know this is mine. It's not being appreciated. Okay, being appreciated, yeah. You know, you do everything and nobody ever says thank you and yeah. a bit of appreciation. Yep, yep, okay, so you cook every night and nobody says thanks for the meal. You wash up the dishes afterwards nobody says thanks for that. Do you know what that means too? You, you notice that with all of these, it's because we don't do it to ourselves. You see, if I don't appreciate myself, then I'm going to put myself night after night after night after night in a situation where nobody else appreciates me either. But see, if I appreciated myself, I wouldn't do that. Can you see that? See, most of our addictions are born from the fact that it's not within me already. So if I have an addiction, praise me, praise me, praise me, it means that I don't think I'm praiseworthy. It means that I don't think I'm really any good and I need you to tell me I'm good so that I feel good about myself. The same goes with attention. If I need your attention, it means that I don't take any notice of myself. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm worthy within myself to have attention being given to me. And so I want you to do it for me. Does that make sense? If we go to Ray with the mic there and then to... On the line of attention, there's a negative attention. Negative well, behaviour. Being an addicted to negative attention? Addicted to negative Certainly. attention. Certainly. Well, you can see how that addiction occurred. Hey, when you're a little, the only attention you got was when you got a belting or you got in trouble. So after a while what happens is you're seeking trouble. So you, come, you become, if you're the man, you become the trouble, you know, the troubled man, the troubled teenager, the troubled adult, and you're just always in trouble. And really in the end all you're doing is seeking love through the trouble, but you're addicted to it and you don't know how to let that go. Cool. I was just going to say that things that aren't, lots of things that aren't negative in themselves can be addictions too, like reading and exercise. True, yep. So reading and exercise. I'm more talking about emotions here, but that's very true. There are things like, there are actual activities 
that we can become addicted to as well. The, t the test to see whether you're addicted to anything is do you get angry when it's taken away from you? Or anxious or fearful when it's taken away from you? Because there's a good indication that it's an addiction. If we go up the back and then down to Karen. You're just here, just here too, thanks. Uh, you can. AJ, I was hoping you could tell me what the underlying emotion is to needing to be right all the time. So, need to be right? What do you think there might be? Exactly. It's all, with almost all emotional addictions, it's the opposite emotion that we're avoiding. Right? You can see, praise me, I'm avoiding that I'm not praiseworthy. Being appreciative, I'm avoiding the fact that I'm unappreciated. Wanting attention, I got none. You know, you can see that. Can you see the pattern? There's always the flip side. What we're doing with addictions is we want the other person, the other person, to actually fulfil something within myself that I am not already fulfilling within myself, or that I don't feel God can fulfil within myself. So what I'm doing is when I say, praise me, praise me, praise me, please praise me, I'm actually saying to everyone else, you've got to praise me because I can't praise myself. I can't feel good about myself unless I receive your praise. Right? And it's the same with all of these addictions. Now, the secret is, whenever you feel angry, so whenever you feel angry or rage, it is usually because you are avoiding the fact that whatever it is you're angry about is an addiction that you're not getting satisfied. And what you're doing is you're projecting it onto, as an expectation to people around you. Do you follow that? And if you look at addictions, it's a really powerful way to, to really hone in on some, power, on some causal emotion. Because addictions are so simple to access a causal emotion. Because it's always the opposite of what you're addicted to that you're avoiding within yourself. So it's really simple. Does when you say whenever you're feeling anger or rage, yep. is that and it, that's likely to be an addiction? You're not getting satisfied. Are you talking then also about the slight annoyances, the little yep. just slight annoyances, that? right down into the little smidge of annoyance, right? All of that. So annoyance, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, right? All of that is all part of the addiction, all part of the addiction. So allow yourself to see them as addictive behaviours. When you connect with that, you can do some really powerful things with your emotional work. Uh, AJ, what's workaholism? What, what is it? It's an addiction to be busy. So yes. Yes. Why, do I, why am I addicted to be busy? Yes. Why do you think you would be addicted to be busy? So you don't have to feel. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to stop and feel yourself. I was addicted to be busy, <laughs> trust me. I was, like four, I was running four companies. Man, I was just like addicted to be busy. Uh, a microphone. Thanks. Isn't that the same as what Paula was saying? With doesn't matter what our addiction is; it's a distraction. Um, yeah, here emotion. I'm talking about emotional addictions. Yes. Whereas Paula raised the issue of actually physical addictions. And is that the same as workaholic? Workaholic is a physical addiction. Yeah, which covers an emotional addiction. 
Does that make sense? So all physical addictions do is cover emotional addictions. The key is to hone in on the emotional addiction. When you hone in on the emotional addiction, the flip side of the addiction is the emotion you're avoiding. So it's quite simple then to access the emotions. And, yeah. Sorry, I got lots of them today. What about time? And it swells, as in I want to give people so much time and then I don't want the time back. So you're, you're giving away your time all the time? Well, when I, when I spend time with people, I, want, I give them all the attention, I give them all this time, but then they go through periods where I can't have that back at all. Where you can't or you... I can't. I don't want it. You I, don't accept like, it back. No, no, no. I just want my own time. Leave me alone. Like, it's the, the addiction of wanting to give time and the addiction of not wanting any time. Yeah. So it's... Uh, so what do you think is happening? Oh, yeah. Exhaustion. So I what happens that. is you give and give and give and give until you're exhausted. Yeah. And then you say, oh, I've got to stop now. I just need my own time. Please don't anybody demand anything of me now. Okay, but what's the addiction? Like, if time is my addiction, then what's the opposite? Yeah, like now we're talking about a physical addiction, oh. and it's very similar to the workaholism that Sven brought up. Okay, thanks. Sorry? Or a desire to be loved. Yeah, well, in the end, all of them are desired to be loved, noticed, or whatever. Like, I was addicted to be a workaholic so that people, so that, so that I could feel good about myself. So I never created enough is what I felt. So what I did was I just worked and worked and worked myself into the ground in order to create enough so that I could just feel good about myself. It didn't matter what anybody else said to me. They all, you know, people were saying, oh, that's amazing what you're doing. I don't know how you get the time and all that. I didn't notice any of that. All I noticed was I wasn't doing enough yet because I wasn't happy with how much I had achieved yet. And so I had a lot of judgments about that. So physical addictions are always covering over emotional addictions. And my emotional addiction was, unless I was a super achiever, I couldn't feel good about myself. So my addiction was, I want to feel good about myself through what I achieved. Right? The flip side is what I needed to feel. I can't achieve anything that's of any worth, which is what I've had to feel. So it's always the flip side that in the end that you need to feel. Um, AJ, can you be addicted to truth? Um, it's a wonderful addiction. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you can certainly, in, in a negative sense, you're asking, can you be addicted to truth in a negative sense? Yeah, can there be um, yeah, negative aspects to it? I don't feel so. If you're talking about God's truth, I don't feel so. Yeah. Yeah. Or what about man's truth? Um, well, man's truth is very different to God's truth. And uh, if you're addicted to man's truth, it can become a, a nightmare. Usually the reason why we're addicted to man's truth is because we have a deep feeling within us that we're not intelligent enough, we don't know enough. Does that make sense? We want to, and we only feel good when we know more. So if we're addicted to man's truth, it's usually because of those kind of emotions. A God, being addicted to God's truth... Um, is, a, is a really good thing to do. It's to really have a strong desire for God's truth. And when you say addiction to God's truth, the key, when you're addicted to God's truth, if we use the term addiction, you won't ever get angry, right, about not having it. So, so if you're getting angry about not having it, then there's another emotional addiction, and it's certainly not to God's truth, it's for something else. 
And so that's not sort of like tied into honesty. Um, addiction to honesty. Well, if we're expecting honesty from others, then we're addicted to honesty for, for personal reasons, and we need to look at that, certainly. Because in the end, I cannot expect honesty from you, because honesty is a gift of love that you would give me. Right? But I can't expect it. And as soon as I expect it, I'm out of harmony with love myself. So I need to look at that inside of myself. Why am I addicted to honesty and how do I react? Now, usually with all addictions, remember the sign of an addiction is that we get angry, annoyed, frustrated if it doesn't happen. So look at anything that makes you angry, annoyed, frustrated if it doesn't happen. Look at those addictions. Now, um, it's uh, already 5.30, so we need to finish. Um, I'd like to... Th uh, tomorrow, by the way, is a spirit uh, mediumship and healing stuff. Tomorrow will be a little different in that we'll be giving you some examples of different things that have happened to different people with mediumship and healing during the week and, uh, and uh, it's been a really, really fun time to, to expose some different things and we, what we want to do is talk to you about some of these different things. So that'll be tomorrow along with some homework about fear and then remember the next week will be about the fear discussion and then I'll be purposefully going for the jugular of your fears, right, uh, on the Sunday. So that's something to look forward to if you're brave enough to come along. And thank you very much for your time again today, guys. <laughs>